This episode of Laser Time is brought to you by Quip, the simple and elegant electric toothbrushes. And you can go to tryquip.com slash laser time and save 10 bucks on your refills. Akiba, everybody, and welcome to Laser Time. I usually tell you where our standing is in the ranking of pop culture podcast, and the reviews are in... It stinks. That's a tease for a couple of people and maybe an indication for the rest of you to get out right now, because it's very rare that we take the time to talk about one show. Uh, we usually talk about multiple shows or a pop culture topic, get you a ton of sound clips, do a bunch of research. Again, this is a different kind of show. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Chris Antista. Welcome to Laser Time. And I'm Henry Gilbert, and uh, I'm huge. He's huge. <laughs> and I'm Bob Mackey, and I don't stink. He doesn't stink. I, I use deodorant today. You know you want me, baby. <laughs> and these are a bunch saying. of references some people might not get. Watch out for snakes! Yep, uh, but it's, it's too bad because this is something very personal to a lot of us. We not only are going to talk a little bit about uh, MST3K, its return, the minutia, we are going to talk to none other than Dr. Forrester, Crow, Trace Balloon. You mentioned other projects. Uh, was Best Brains always intended to be sort of a creative sandbox for you guys to try different things, or was it just always going to be MST3K? Um, I think we tried to make it a sandbox, uh, but we kept finding cat poop in the... <laughs> so stay tuned for more of that. Uh, but before that, I don't even know what we wanted to talk about. I just wanted to talk to Trace. Well, I yeah, I wanted mm. to get into the... I wanted to first talk about the new season because yeah. tons of people asked my our opinions on it. We... I didn't do the Mystery Science Theater episode of Laser Time. Yeah, that was, was in uh, 2013. This yes. is kind of a sequel to that. And that yeah. episode, we covered all of MST3K. Mm-hmm. This is sort of the post-MST3K landscape and just how much mm-hmm. content there's been that you might not know about. Yeah, when the new season started, there were, were tons of people like, MST3K is finally back. But they what didn't you realize there's been so much. But I, just about the new season, <clears throat> I really loved it. It yeah. was, yeah. I, I've watched the entire thing. I think, I don't know if I've Bob's seen about a third of it. And, it, oh. I, I the first episode made me worry. Episode two, it was all fine. It was well, ep- everything I wanted. One is bizarre in that it, unlike the transition, the changing of the guard, which mm-hmm. we only saw once in a Mitchell episode, really. But it went out of its way to like try and tell a story of the show, and it, yeah. it, it feels a little clumsy at first. And the second you get in the second episode, Cry Wilderness, it's a modern classic. Yeah. Well, so- if you don't know what Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand is, it is the Show it is. It might be one of the things I love the most. Oh yes, it is a little show that started on a Minnesota UHF station where two robots and a, and a man trapped by mad scientists are forced to watch bad movies, mm-hmm. and it's it it's become such an enduring format in a way I think nobody could have predicted, and that's why I wanted to talk to someone like Trace because when you hear from people in the show, they're making they're making the show in the bubble away from LA. They have mm-hmm. no idea what the rest of the media landscape thinks of them. If they're aware of them, they're, they're in Eden, these... Eden Prairie, Minnesota, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, where is Kat Bailey from like around there? Uh, no, she explained to me that's sort of like the Richie rich area. Uh, uh, ooh, a lot of awesome. But the new season, you know, it was the, yes, it ran for, it only ran for seven seasons yes. on comedy central, uh, like amazingly long seasons. It is a two hour show with commercials. Mm-hmm. They got what? Six seasons of 23, 
three, twenty-four episodes. So the first season was twelve or thirteen, and second season was the same. But after that, three, four, five, and six were twenty-four episodes long, yeah. and then seven was six. Yeah, yes. it's, but so when you, but still when you add it all together, it's ten seasons, almost two hundred episodes of a ninety-minute program. There, it, it's gone. But like, I think one of the reasons I was able to revisit it is because each episode is three episodes of a normal comedy mm-hmm. show, and it's just packed with so much stuff. They, they are such mm-hmm. dense things and easy to return to that even when I rewatch an old episode, I'm like, oh, I don't remember that joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, it's like, or, oh, I get this joke now. Oh, that's Trumpy, <laughs> which means something completely different now. Oh, that's, yes. Yeah, Cave People is a very different episode. Pod people. In that, Pod people. In that episode, they say, I named you after Donald Trump. Oh, and then that's and that's because we talk a lot on this, on this program about weird movie productions and bad shit, but this MST3K delved way deeper. I love bringing up mm. Pod People, which is a movie. Did it start out as Alien? And then <laughs> someone's like, no, no, E.T. is more popular. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it was one of those Italian movies where it's like, we want to rip this off, but we're not sure what. Which one yeah, we want to rip off. Rip so off it's, four it's both Alien and E.T. and mm. deeply unsatisfying and weird. And a boob comedy with <laughs> yeah. rock stars in So there a horrifying too. alien that you're supposed to love by the end of the movie. <laughs> those, those were my favorite. My... My favorite episodes of MST3K were the ones that got the more modern movies. Like the bl- black and white ones were super funny, but yeah. I liked when they would do ones in color. It, it was just about a difference of skill level of just like in the 50s, they'd watch movies of just like you barely know how to make a film. Yeah. Like Monster Go Go is not a film. But this is no. what the drive in is showing. Yes. And but it, meanwhile, it's actually several films spliced together. <laughs> yes. But meanwhile, you get a film like Space Mutiny or. Or cave people, and uh, you get, mm-hmm. and, and in those, it's like, well, you know how to make a film, a film, and, but you're so it's a different type of ineptitude of like, well, that's bad directing, that's, that's bad editing, that's bad acting. Some of it I see now, like I rewatched the Transformers movie to for thirty twenty ten, and like mm-hmm. this checks the boxes of things movies are supposed to have mm-hmm. with someone who cares not about how this movie flows together. Yeah, this is a so th- this is just this is he Michael Bay fills out his credit hours mm-hmm. to go to movie theater university, and that's in no extra stuff. <laughs> he does other make than that. movie ass movies, movie ass movies, really and I love and, and that's the thing about mystery science, and I think what makes it more more enduring than any of us ever thought possible mm-hmm. is that we're, you're listening to a podcast right now because you want to hear like-minded people talk about the things that you like. You watch movie commentaries. We do movie commentaries. You watch game streams with commentaries because it's all sort of like an ideal world for nerds mm. where we can all sit down and enjoy the same thing for an hour and talk mm-hmm. about it. And, and MST3K was way out ahead of that shit. Yeah, and I think, and, I mean, I might have mentioned this on the earlier episode we did, but I think MST3K helped inform me as to what made a movie bad and what yeah. made a movie good because mm-hmm. now it's just like, whenever I see a scene of someone pulling up to the scene and then parking <laughs> and then getting out, like, you could have cut you all of cut that. You could have cut all yes. that. There's any scene, I mean, movie with lots of parking and driving, especially Birdemic, yeah. you know there's trouble. And it, and it told me, like, you know, feminist readings or intellectual readings of a film too, and and mocking that. Like one of my favorite lines ever is in the horrors of Spider okay. Island, oh, where they God. constantly point out that that movie They're is not supposed a to be horror. And yeah, it's not supposed a to be a spider. It's really just to look at women in ba- bikinis the entire time. And at the end of the movie, after tons of horrible things happen to women and are said about women in the film. Uh, one girl is murdered on camera in a very grisly death and then I think it's Tom that says 
what does this movie really think about women? And just like, and it made me think, a like, yes, a film has this film has an ideology of women that it is projecting I, onto. And us. I remember they would boo racial slurs and, um, yeah, and domestic boo. violence or animal yeah. abuse too. Yeah. They 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 would right and cry that. wilderness was yes. like insane. Like what the fuck is happening? He's choking a raccoon. choking a raccoon. It's literally reaching out in terror. Uh. Sorry, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. But basically, the idea is, I was always mad fascinated. Like people would make jokes on like. Comedians will make jokes about watching Godzilla movies on UHF. I'm like, in what town? Yeah. That's not happening here. I yeah. want to watch all the Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. And I then I finally, saw. I did. And like, well, some of these are kind of boring mm-hmm. if you're alone. And Mystery Science Theater was that perfect thing. Like, yeah, I do want to watch all these old monster movies mm-hmm. and westerns, but not alone. Yeah. And not not in one sitting by myself. This is <laughs> such a great way to rediscover pop culture minutia from years ago. And it also validates anything you remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll never forget because I was already in love with Mystery Science Theater 2000. And I, I ended up falling in love right before college with Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. And uh, and Kevin Murphy, Tom Servo, already did. And I and like so I read his books and I watch every episode now has a new joke I get. Yeah. That uh, because I read some Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. His references all over the place. Saw Lord of the Rings, mm. didn't realize how big a fan those guys were of the books mm-hmm. and they constantly make Lord of the Rings because well, when you name when you name a town in Lord of the Rings in mm-hmm. 1996 nobody yeah. knows that word mm-hmm. they don't know it and so yeah I, I absolutely had different experiences watching the show at 13 and mm-hmm. 23 and at 33 and it's it's bizarre that, that it 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 holds up like what other show on Comedy Central for let's say five years before and after MST3K is mm. running in syndication. None. No. Nothing. On the show, the channel comment I get over the air like twice, two, three times a day runs MST3. Three K, yeah. the old episodes in full screen standard definition, and it's ama- It was an amazing thing too to just feel like you were tuning into a weird frequency on a radio mm-hmm. that secretly had this just to turn on Comedy Central like nine o'clock and and be like, oh, what is this thing? And it immediately just catches your eye of like a silhouette of puppets on yeah. top of a crappy movie. Yeah. It's kind of breaking the rules of television. Like totally. you can't like lay something on top of an entire movie. <laughs> what are you doing? And then you watch. You're like, oh, I get it. I get it now. I get it. I get it now. And I think as a result of what they did it's it's surprisingly more enduring than most mm-hmm. other entertainment and so i hear talking to trace he talks about it like a cult phenomenon but it also is infinitely rediscoverable not mm-hmm. unlike an eight like a good 8 bit game how people can still play mario more so than a lot of stuff from that era mm-hmm. We've got early simpsons maybe some mr show but i think mystery science theater 2000 Kids can dive into that. Yeah, yeah, and the scope of how much was made, I remember the math was done by the um, very Im- impressive production at Paste Magazine. Oh, oh yeah. Paste Magazine did a ranking of every episode from worst to best, and obviously no one's going to agree with that. Mm. Like, I think he was too mean to Red Zone Cuba. Oh, yeah, I love Red Zone Cuba. But so awful. in it, he put it into perspective, like, he isn't doing this from memory. He mm. rewatched all 198 <laughs> episodes and the movie again to rank them and he said like that would be the this was the time equivalent of watching every episode of game of thrones that exists now three times wow and as like, someone who was freelance before i bet he earned two hundred dollars <laughs> at, at, at the most but he's now one of those experts like you can't do a documentary or a feature on msd the game consulting that author yeah he yes. has yeah. to be the authority he is the now the expert uh, but we're going to get into a little more of that right after we get back 
How are you people doing today? This is your buddy Chris here to tell you. This episode is brought to you by Quip, the simple, elegant electronic toothbrushes. If you've been listening to me throughout the year, switching to an electric toothbrush was recommended to me by my one and only dentist visit of the last half decade. Uh, and it's made a huge difference. My teeth feel cleaner constantly. I can feel the little gaps in between the te- my teeth with my tongue. It's cool. And if you go to tryquip.com slash laser time, you can save $10 on the refills. And those are the kinds of things that'll cost you a lot of money with another company. But Quip is totally legit. And instead of spending the marketing dollars to try and sell you the gimmicks, the team has uh, sought out oral care professionals and created this awesome little system uh, from the handle design to the vibrations of the brush heads that focus on health. Overhype. You can get a metal or plastic handle, easy to use wall-mounted holders, a travel case, and much, much more, including their own custom toothpaste. And the electronic brush sets start at just $25, not 100 like the ones you'll find in most stores around you. Better still, the refill plans begin at $5, so instead of having to think about when to buy refills, you can just schedule it out and make sure they're shipped to you automatically. And once again, you can save $10 on those refills by going to tryquip.com slash laser time. Thank you, Quip. You like Laser Time shows? Then you might like Bonus Time, Laser Time's weekly bonus show exclusively on patreon.com slash laser time. Here's a taste of what you've been missing. And Sunday morning, I kind of just relaxed and watched the Planet of the Apes. Kind of a weird uh, seating situation. Mm-hmm. It's one of those situations where the layout on the website didn't quite match what they had because it mm-hmm. was like the way that the setup was like two seats, a little bit of space, two seats, a little bit of a space. So I took seat number, remember this was D4, mm-hmm. and I saw D5 and D6 were taken, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, no one's going to take D3. Mm-hmm. I take D4, and then when I get there, I see the like teenage girls in D5 and D6, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to sit right next to two teenage girls, that's yeah. creepy. So I sit in D3, mm-hmm. and then a guy comes in, older and creepier <laughs> than me, and says, uh, I think I'm D3, and I'm like, oh, my mistake. Let and me I, scoot closer to these teenage girls. No, well, that was what I... Maybe should have done, <laughs> but what happened was, was like, oh, I got D one. I'm sorry. Like I would have made that mistake. Mm-hmm. Like how do you mix up one and three? So I just moved to the very aisle seat. Mm-hmm. But that means for the next quarter of the movie, before I was comfortable thinking like nobody's gonna take, nobody's gonna have this seat. Mm-hmm. But I did feel a little bit weird, like looking at everyone coming in for the next the next twenty minutes. Like are, are, are these people gonna kick me out of my seat? Mm. And then the creepy guy's gonna see that I lied about my seat twice. Well, like that, that, that. Phenomenon. I just don't want to sit between a creepy dude and two teenage <laughs> girls. It's, that's Why? weird. You can act as a, a buffer, a guardian uh. angel. Get bonus time, Laser Time's weekly, full length, uncensored, and ad free Patreon exclusive podcast, as well as full length movie commentaries, wrestling and cartoon video commentaries, the first season of Talking Simpson, and more at patreon.com slash laser time, starting at just five bucks. You'll help us live, and we'll do our best to help you never be bored again. Jonah, I'm confused. Yeah, what's your deal? Why don't you shave? What? Yeah, yeah, that too. But I thought giant monsters came from Japan, not Denmark. Well, Asia clearly has the most monster credibility, but there's a beautifully diverse array of global monsters all over the planet. Mm. Explain. Preferably through rap. Oh, all right, if you insist. Reptilicus is silly, but he really illustrates the great array of monsters all over the place. Not just in Japan, but across the planet. An A to Z gamut or gargantuan panoply. Example, please. One name of land. Belize. Oh, geez. Easy peasy. Maze of maze. Seeing the Yucatan, you can meet El Cadejo. In Belize, they believe in him. They're not afraid to say so. Scotland. Nessie's living up in a lot. How about Poland? Scary scarecrow named Babai. So, so it's not just Godzilla? Well, duh, crow. There's a lot that could kill you. Hey. Tom. Sorry, crow. Okay. Gross. Joe. Yo, Jonah, how's the chorus go? Every country 
has a monster they're afraid of in their nation. Every monster has a country, yeah, a station they call their home. Gooter, Gleebing, Glouten, Crobin. What turned the mustard's guts to spaghetti? Was it in Tibet? Yep. I bet he met a Yeti. Australia? Their drop bears will impale ya. Then they'll sell ya hella touristy paraphernalia. Chupacabra's chewing up cattle down in Mexico. Del Geats, Horns Gorn, battling the Navajo. Congo's Congo motto is a mongo flying dino. I know I don't want to die, but when I do, he'll be the guy. Whoa! Coming in with the monster song. Every country is a monster they're oh afraid of, which was just MSG3K. I think, again, being Rocky was setting up lore because it, mm. it hit lore way harder than the show ever had. Well, but yeah, the first host play. segment is this beautiful thing. What It was a Swedish monster movie? A, yes. Yeah, Danish. Yeah. Danish uh, monster Reptilicus. movie. Reptilicus. Yes. And it's an effect I never thought I'd see in my entire life <laughs> where it's not just a miniature, but they cut out photograph so as to make an animated person be eaten by a monster oh, it right. is so you're bizarre right. oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. it is so bizarre to look so at strange, but, but it's, it's it's it looks like a special effect process not unlike dr Katz's squiggle vision where he was like <laughs> yeah let's not do that again this does not to be need to be pioneered any further but they hit it immediately with this great song and i think mm-hmm. part of the the cheesy campy showmanship sing-songy host segments are another part of what makes mst3k beautiful totally. and it's what the other stuff doesn't do. It's yeah, true. Can we yeah. talk about the end of the show first? Sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it ended in 1999, and it was like such a huge bummer for mm-hmm. me as mm-hmm. a 17 year old. It just was like this thing I love is now finally over. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you were part of the online communities, you knew it was over because their uh, order was much shorter that yeah. last season. T- mm. Well, they did. I remember for nine, they're like, "There's no back nine for season nine. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Yeah. But and it was like. There was no hope because mm-hmm. what happened was, and you probably wouldn't know this if, unless you were in that community at the time, um, as soon as the show ended production, Jim Mallon, who owned the show mm-hmm. and was a producer and did the voice of Gypsy, he basically sold off every prop, dismantled the entire set, right. sold off every part of the set. It's like, you can't, you, like, the, the, the parts are gone now. Yeah. Like, we, yeah. you couldn't even get these guys back. And it wasn't until... I don't know, seven years later that things like Rift Tracks started. Yeah. I mean, the MST3 guys were in limbo. They all wrote books, and I read all those books. They had a website called Timmy, Timmy Big, Big Hands, Hands, which is sort yeah. of like something awful. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of great content, and um, I hope they put it into a book one day. But they were just sort of floundering until technology could make this available again or make yeah. this happen again. Yeah, because yeah. Mike was alone with, I'm guessing, the company that would become Rift Tracks. Yes, Legend Films, uh, I think in the early 2000s, he would do commentaries, yeah. and they were just jokey commentaries. But they were very odd. In and not that enjoyable, and Mike is a really funny guy. He is, but, but him being alone and just like saying jokes by himself just was awkward. Yeah, and there's like, no, there was fit. no nobody to interact with. Yeah, and they, they also did weird things. That the reefer madness. They like made the pot smoke different colors. The yeah, one, the one I got was the. Night of the Living Dead, mm. which is it is a public domain film, so anybody can put it on a DVD. And this one was being sold as like, well, we have a commentary track from Michael Nelson, mm. and it was funny, but it I I did like it, but it was sterile yeah. in a way of just like, well, you're just doing all the jokes now, and you're not bouncing off Kevin and Bill, yeah, who are his most constant. Yeah, there's two people to interact with, which make a different kind of joke structure. Yeah, and then there was the uh, the film crew, yes, which was started at Rhino and was held up in production so long because of Jim Mallon. I, we who should was, talk about yes, Jim Mallon. In this. <laughs> I mean, I don't want. I mean, Trace is associated can, with this podcast. You can hear that they're yeah. all. It's it's not as cutthroat. No one's talking a lot of shit. No. Yeah, guy. it's true. But I mean, if I mean. 
Joel has said as much, and there are creative problems. But uh, I, I think they they should have a grudge against him because they wanted to start MST3K again through Rhino, through these individual releases called the Film Crew, which are really good at sort of like proto riff tracks. And unlike you do riff tracks, see them on camera, in this. Uh, not during the movies, but they do have sketches okay. where yeah, they're yeah. they're they're ordered by their boss Bob Honcho, who was Bob Rhino until Rhino shut down and they were released through yes. Shout Factory, so they have to redub in uh, Honcho instead of Rhino. But yeah. I think Jim Allen was like, no, I own this concept. I'm going to challenge you. Well, yeah, the, the story I had heard, uh, I, I'd read uh, again this morning was that he said, well, maybe MST3K doesn't want to be on Rhino anymore. Film crew's going to be Oh, that's on what there. happened. And he kind of used that. And that's that's a really gross story. I hate hearing that. I want, I don't want the, I, to yeah. know there were problems between those people. And But yeah, that, I mean, it is telling it just like, oh yeah, we did a reunion. They, all the reunions they've done that have everybody, that even if they don't like each other behind the scenes, which I don't know if that's the case, but even if that is the case, they're all together at Comic-Con or they're all together on mm-hmm. the Rift Tracks thing. Jim Allen is never, ever, ever there. No, and, no. <laughs> and that's that is a really telling thing. The, I mean, the, that last season too really broke my heart at the time because they started by celebrating the 10th anniversary yeah. and it's just like it's the victory lap we've yeah, got yeah. Joel and Frank are back for the 10th anniversary it's also- almost no show makes it to 10 years yes. ever and so they start by celebrating and then by the end of the season like and it's over yeah. like we, we celebrated but it's over and yeah I followed all the stuff they did after before they started riffing again yeah. like I read I read movie Mega Cheese and, which and- was the first time I ever read that people hated Tim Burton's Batman yeah. because in my memory I was like no Tim Burton's Batman was good right and, and Mike said it, but it's as some of it I have seen older people treat they did like the Adam West Batman mm-hmm. and it's the same way we talk about Michael uh, Zack Snyder's Superman mm-hmm. you get a bitter realistic yes that's yeah, true well, we didn't want that Batman mm-hmm. was fun uh, yeah. and so I, I forgot about that stance on the, on the I got I got a signed copy of that book mm-hmm. uh, it's with by Mike Nelson says pain don't hurt wow. <laughs> where, uh, that's awesome. it's beginning of the quotes of Roadhouse and yeah. I, a big shout out to Satellite News that kept me up yes. on all of this shit and still does yeah those two guys still at it. have oh, been they, there since the early 90s mm-hmm. reporting on MST3K big ups to Sampo and, yeah. and especially if we get a mention on there I always I've been fortunate enough to oh. interview the guys and oh, they yeah. uh, okay. end up writing writing something up I do there but yeah, the start of Rift Tracks was honestly a good idea but too complicated oh yeah. to be a success I'm, we're still struggling with it with the Monday Night Movie I there's, mean, yeah, there's I no mean, technology to do that you have to be like okay when this happens start playing you have to play two two things at once but now Rift Tracks they occasionally will do one of those for a big movie but now now they're now they're racket is we are going to do the movies we would have done on MST3K mm-hmm. and we're going to give you the movie with the audio track attached to it you just download a video file mm-hmm. and it's great because it's like Here's a, here's another movie from the Puma Man guy. Like yeah. they're doing like here's another uh, Ator movie, the Cave Dwellers series. Oh. Like they're doing things they would have done, and they haven't lost a step. And they do shorts. The shorts are the best yeah. thing. If you want to get into yes. Rift Tracks, download a short. They're ninety nine oh. cents, and they're all amazing. They're That's all the perfect. best stuff from Rift yeah. Tracks, I think. I mean, if I were to direct you to one, it'd be Shake Hands with Danger. Mm-hmm. I think that might shake be Shake Hands with Danger. Yeah, Shake Hands with Danger. I mean, if you really want to test and, yourself, setting up a room is great. And oh. Industrial oh. Snuff Film or the, the the Glory of Grass. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, but, the, the film crew kind of became Rift Tracks. Mm-hmm. Like, R- Mike Nelson did Rift Tracks at first on his own, and it was also, it was good, but you're like, well, where's everybody else? And then when Kevin and Bill just became full timers on it, you're like, yeah, that's now, what I wanted. And it's now, it's lasted longer than Mystery Science that's Theater. So weird. It's amazing oh, to think. But I mean, if you want me to talk about, I, I picked out sort of five movies that mm-hmm. are the best Rift Track movies if you want to get started with the uh, with yeah. Rift Tracks and itself. And you should, because now you can, I think, see it on your TV through VRV. 
Um, yeah. You can get some of those over it's there. It's on Amazon Video. It's on Amazon, Amazon Video. Video. Yeah, and I mean... In Prime. And there's a lot for free, but I think like 10 bucks for a two-hour movie that's just downloading a new MST3K episode is mm-hmm. is totally worth for me. And I, I think I've spent probably like close to five or $6,000 over the past 10 years. <laughs> I buy every video on demand release. I'm a Rift Track super fan. Whoa. But I think we should talk about first uh, Samurai Cop Henry. Yes, <laughs> we saw the live version of that. Uh, well, not it, it was simulcast. That's another awesome thing they do yeah, at Fathom yeah. Events. They simulcast their live shows. I've, I've only been to like five live Rift Tracks, nothing like Bob. But yeah, the... Samurai Cop is so perfect, but it is also one of those things of like they would never have done it on MST3K because yeah. the funny parts are R-rated. Yeah. But it is like the room, but more fun. It is the room with a bigger budget, like a trauma film meets the room of a wannabe cop film starring a ridiculous looking man. Yes, he's and, a, like a giant cave person, like a shaved yes. cave person. And and every 80s film cliche is in there of the the cool black friend, the yeah. cool black partner, the angry boss, the that no woman can say no to him or actually no one woman does say no to him, like your dick's not big enough for me I'm a, I'm a nurse and we see that in the first like 10 minutes the uh, the main character being shamed but yeah the the I mean the the angry boss in a cop movie is just fun to watch. This guy has like no text. He's like motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He I just like, kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Zadar is in it too. Like oh, yeah. MST3K mainstay um, Robert Zadar. He's the his... large chin guy from Soul Taker. And oh, what else was he chin, in? Big in... chin. Uh, Soul Taker and in Future War. Future War, right? Yes. He's the final cyborg they face in Future War. And these movies, they would be fun to watch on your own if you somehow have seven like-minded friends. But that's why these things yeah. exist. You can all you buy the friends. Everybody yeah. is a riffer now. Everybody goofs on yeah. movies together but these guys are way like, better just like with pornography you're paying for professionals <laughs> yeah. these are pros here and we should say like in case you don't know they write these things mm-hmm. they're not just this funny on the spot they write them they go over the jokes yeah. they there's a process to it i've done this and i've done some shorts that are online i did maybe like almost a decade ago mm-hmm. and making a like eight minute short into a riff is like a week-long process yeah. i worked with another person who's just like we had to watch this like eight thousand times yeah. write down all the jokes decide who's saying what we did one live show and it was a lot of fun but I was like that was so much work I was glad I was unemployed because that's the only way I could make it happen <laughs> and, and and then there's the level of acting to sound spontaneous mm-hmm. like yeah. you have to sound fun not that you're reading a joke you've said eight billion times and that they're able to do that live and it's also what I love in their live stuff when they their shorts things like they've done at SF Sketchfest is mm-hmm. bring in comedians yep. to do it with them yeah Paul and, Tompkins has done Paul it it's Tompkins. almost a guarantee every time <laughs> Maria Bamford I loved hearing that Maria Bamford just watching Shake Hands with Danger gave her almost like a panic attack. She was just so nervous. It, it, yeah, if you don't know what Shake Hands with, it is the one of the best shorts to watch on, on its own. It is. It is a bunch of. Uh, it's a bunch. It's a snuff industrial film showing you all the workplace accidents that can happen next to caterpillar monster yeah. machines. And like with Samurai Cop, when they do it live, they will do new jokes. It yep. is like seeing a new performance of a song you love, except they are like, well, we're going to have a different jam session here. Yeah, whatever. it's like, I would say it's like 30 to 40% new jokes uh, mm-hmm. after they do it as a video on demand. When you mm-hmm. go see it live, it's like, oh, they did a lot of new jokes. So I want to move on to the, uh, I have five movies. Samurai Cop was the first one. These are in no order. I just want to mm-hmm. pick out five. Your five favorites. My second one is Rotor, R-O-T-O-R. It is a 1987 Terminator knockoff made by some guy in Texas. Oh, wow. And um, I don't want to talk as long about this one because you have to watch it. It is just a sight to behold. The main character is oddly dubbed for most of the movie by the guy who did the voice. 
uh, by the same actor. I don't know why. I don't know why, but it's really alienating. That sounds very maddening. For for Manos, the Hands of Fate, they had no sound. In this one, they'd some care. I mean, they definitely had sound. This guy, maybe just they didn't like his the way he sounded at first (laughs) or something. But the Terminator in this, you must see it. It is it is sub robot chicken (laughs) animation. It is like four frames per second of like an action figure moving. And the fact that they built an entire movie around that special mm-hmm. effect is just, it astounds me. You must see Rotor. The uh, Red Letter Media guys did it, too. Um, they oh, did it on the best yeah. of the worst thing. I'm sure you can find clips of it online, but um, you must see Rotor. It's even better with Rift Tracks. And I'm sure you've seen all those articles popping up recently, recently that, like, did you know bad movies make you smart? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know that, but I don't know. I do enjoy bad, like, hate the middle. I gotta have a really bad movie, yeah. a really good movie. Well, Chris, as a bad movie-loving introvert, mm-hmm. Facebook tells me I'm the smartest man ever. <laughs> <laughs> Having no friends makes you smarter. Okay, so the th- so that was uh, so far Samurai Cop and Rotor. My third pick is Santa Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. Jesus oh. Christ, this there, one I've seen. There are two versions of this: one with Thumbelina and one with um, Jack and the Beanstalk. So what happens in this movie? How did they get the rights to those characters? <laughs> oh, very easily. Uh, they stole them for free, but. Basically, this was a movie made by the defunct Florida amusement park Pirates World, which no longer exists. And every shot of it they show, it just looks filthy and dangerous. (laughs) And if I'm from Florida, so I would say humidity-drenched mildew on anything involving wood. It looks disgusting. (laughs) But what happens in this movie is Santa Claus uh, crashes in Florida. And um, the Santa Claus they get, he is just, like, drenched in sweat. It's not even a joke. He's just got (laughs) giant sweat stains all over him. And he crashes in Florida, and kids try to help him, and they fuck around for a little bit. And then he's like, Santa Claus is going to tell you a story. And the story is fr- has two framing devices mm-hmm. uh, because it's obviously they filmed two different things. They weren't trying to match them together. So Santa Claus is like, I'll tell you a story. The story is a person visiting Pirate's World, going to their Thumbelina attraction and looking into a diorama. And then the telling of Thumbelina begins. <laughs> and oh, like with all of these this guy's movies, this guy was a pornographer. Oh and some of God. the final movies he made were these Pirate's World movies because he was obviously supporting a coke habit or a heroin <laughs> habit or something. Thumbelina is this totally stacked woman oh. uh, and you can tell they're trying to hide her breasts as much as possible but there's a few scenes I'm like Thumbelina is like banging <laughs> I can't believe this is happening but it's it's just like this is like middle school play production levels and it is just it's torture but it's it torture. The, the Disney model of making uh, movies out of your attractions yes yes <laughs> and uh, I won't spoil the end but the, the last scene uh, nothing in this movie makes sense the last scene is the ice cream bunny coming to the rescue uh, it's it's a man in a mascot suit driving a fire truck, nearly <laughs> crashing at every turn while children are hanging on to it. Oh my while, god! While a dog is chasing it and barking. Uh, it's a nightmare. It, it's that's, a nightmare. I, I've seen, having seen it, if you if you were to dream this with the sound off, you need to go see a therapist immediately. It looks like a snuff film is about to break it, it out. It does. Yeah. If, this is, if these are if these images are playing in your head for any other reason, you have gone insane. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, the next movie is Roller Gator. Uh, we I have a Jesus clip of Roller Christ. Gator if you want to play that clip. Uh, the clip, Chris. Clip, clip, Chris. Play the clip, Chris. Company. Well, what about me? Well, you're cool and everything, PJ. It's just that you don't have that hip hop beat. What are you talking about? I'm talking Gator rap, baby. I think you've inhaled too much swamp water this is there. A get- for the alligator Your puppet. This. He's gonna rap. Hardly any faith. Boom. 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 Well, I'm a mean motor gator, a rock and roller skater. Try to catch me now, I'll kick your butt later. Yeah. What is that? Yo, 
What's up with that? It's Gator Rap. That's enough. Uh, Is that Jennifer Aniston? Uh, <laughs> no, but just like with the ice cream bunny, uh, there's a lot. All the women are wearing just very skin tight, skimpy clothes in this children's yes. movie. But Roller Gator. If you heard that acoustic guitar noodling in the background, yeah. that doesn't stop for the entire movie. They need to cover up the background noise because the sound is so bad. I'm just looking. And no, it, I tried to make movies like this as a kid. Never sell them to anybody. Oh, no, no. But there's clearly, like, that lighting is awful. Yeah. And you clearly are using in-camera sound. And the uh, Pizza Hut puppet is even worse. It is basically <laughs> like a repurposed Pizza Hut puppet. It doesn't emote. It barely moves. Yeah, so when the camera has puppet. to move out, it just doesn't move because yes. she's holding a, an empty puppet she's in her holding hand. A, she's holding a stuffed animal, You said basically. Roller Gator, and I was like, is this going to be a rollerblade ripoff. No, I mean, or... there are there are people on roller skates that are ninjas. It is so good because <laughs> it is such a, a barely a movie movie. Mm-hmm. The cinematography and staging in Manos: The Hands of Fate is better. Wow. And this movie is shot uh, mostly stolen shots at a carnival. They clearly had no permission to shoot at. And guess who's in this movie? The secret sauce for any good riff track slash MST3K. Joe Estevez is in this oh movie. Oh my god! In the movie? Yes. And as we learn from uh, Eagleheart, he will do anything for money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's. I mean, his whole career now is just he's Tim Heidecker's like used. Uh, he's he's just used by him. It's perfect that he's in the Decker show playing the oh. same role that Martin Sheen yes. played. Yes. Uh, that's, yes, it's Martin Sheen's brother, right? Yes, and the yeah. Joe yeah. Estevez who was in uh, War Wolf and Soul, and Soul, Soul Taker. Taker. That's right. And uh, actually, when I went to Kent State University, I was a grad student there. I went to a film festival. And uh, one of the students made a feature-length film, and he was in it. Wow. He will, like, if you play, if you pay for a plane ticket and his meals, I think he'll just show up in your movie. <laughs> Pretty much. But, yeah, Roller Gator is Ugh. just filmed with what looks like a camcorder, yep. like an off-the-shelf camcorder. And they have the audacity to film scenes at night. And it looks like they just strapped a light to the camera, or the camera yes. just had a light, This whatever Sears model they had. They yeah. sold this on video. Like the cameraman is Gordon Freemaning a, yes. a flashlight right at the actors. It, it, is, it is a perfect Rift Tracks find. Like, oh. it's amazingly found. And the guy, uh, the guy playing Roller Gator is just like, just like constantly stammering, this high energy idiot. It's just, it's so terrible. Uh, so yeah, that's Roller Gator. Uh, the last one is the guy from Harlem. I won't talk a lot about that. I just love the title, The Guy from the, Harlem. Yeah, there's nothing Harlem. special about him. And is it is the one uh, black exploitation film Rift Tracks has done. It's mm. got to be done. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's, it is shaky ground mm-hmm. for white dudes to goof on, but it, yeah. they, they, they find lots it's, of... Good. I'm just thinking about it now. I'm surprised. Surprised they didn't do that genre, given how prevalent mm-hmm. those films were of that period, and then I disappeared. Th- I think it was a real choice they made. But I so Rift Tracks is amazing. I also just watched their um, one for no 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 defeat, no surrender. With no retreat, yeah. no surrender. I'm seeing Stone like Cold the, Steve Austin movie. <laughs> it, it is a wannabe karate kid with uh-huh. Jean-Claude Van Damme as a villain and it's amazing. Oh wait, maybe I have seen that. And it's it's a great one. But we, we also talk we talk with Trace about Cinematic Titanic, and that's which is cinema- the other that's the left hand to the Bob right is, hand of Rift Bob Tracks. has said that yeah. a lot. Rift Tracks thought they needed to make their bones by selling MP3s of riffs of the biggest movies. Mm-hmm. I think they famously wanted did they get to do Twilight Live? Or? They didn't. They had to compromise. But their Twilight riffs are great. No, they, I mean, like, I, I stole Twilight. I'm not fucking buying Twilight. Yeah, I stole yeah. it just to listen to the but tracks. They, but, you know, Harry Potter, the Marvel films, yeah, Star Wars. And you Lord were like, Rings. no, they really needed to understand what we love about riffing. And that's and Kevin Murphy said it, and it blew my mind, that you need a movie with good sound and especially old movies with shitty pacing with yeah. nothing said in between. I will say the Transformers movies are so excruciating. Yeah. I had to take breaks while watching the Rift Tracks. <laughs> like, this is fu- two more hours of this? Holy shit. But to Rift Tracks, the one splinter group of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Eden Prairie Gang, mm-hmm. the other half, I would say... Yeah, about uh, half of them. About half of them went to Cinematic Titanic, who understood from the beginning that the 
the cool thing about it was bad movies mm-hmm. that you've never seen. And it was really well. It it shows you, I think, the differences between Joel's vision mm-hmm. and Mike's vision of what the show is, which are two kind of similar but different ones. Mm-hmm. Like Mike, Mike and the Rift Tracks guys really indulge more in stuff like Roller Gator that are made in the last thirty years and goofing on that. While meanwhile, Joel digs a little deeper and is slightly nicer. Like mm. he's not as mean though. The everybody gets pretty mean in Cinematic Titanic. Yeah. But, and, the and cinematic- that's, that's what Mary Jo Peel, uh, J. Evans Weinstein, Trace Ballou, Frank, Frank Conniff, and Joel Hodgson. And Joel, yes. If silhouetted as if they're on the deck of a giant ship. Yeah. So they did two versions of it. They did a straight to DVD version that was with silhouettes and mm-hmm. a pre-recorded thing. And as Trace mentions in his interview, mm-hmm. that like they had more fun doing it live. And mm-hmm. so then they they just did a live version of they're just framing of it and they film it once at the mm-hmm. show and it's and it's perfect you get the live version of it and they're all getting repackaged yeah, as a shout factory release yeah releasing and, august 8th all 12 films i didn't know they were because sh- I, I never owned them yeah they, they, they're shot in two different ways yeah they were the my the live ones are my preferred ones and those are the three i'm going to suggest mm-hmm. you guys watch but honestly just get the whole box set if you're that big a misty fan but my three favorites are well, first off, they do redo Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. I did want to mention that uh, it's great. So uh, there's an MST3K version, there is mm-hmm. a Cinematic Titanic version, and now and there's a the Rift Tracks Rift version, yes. and they're all different jokes. Yeah. It just as someone who likes the art of riffing, it's so great to be like, what is, what is the joke going to be for this line mm-hmm. and the three different jokes that come out of that? And I love that Rift Tracks also did. They did like Time Chasers. They did that one again too. And Santa Claus, yeah. and they're all new jokes. And uh, but so my three favorites were actually all live ones, like. First off is the alien factor, which is <laughs> That's good, yeah. It is so great. It is another one of those ones that like filmed with no budget. Absolutely no budget. Like there is a two door cop car in the film that's clearly like the, the director's brother's thing. And, <laughs> and people who cannot talk and then and then it they but they're like, No, this is a special effects movie. Well, how do we do that? Um, we'll just imprint claymation on the screen and and dance uh, around it mm-hmm. and and it has quite a twist in it too. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, just awful manos level terrible audio as well and <laughs> and it's so great and then another of my favorites the one we saw live mm-hmm. uh we all saw live i know was war of the insects that's yeah. right yeah which was a japanese production though mainly starring americans mm-hmm. about de- deadly bees but not like the <laughs> not deadly the deadly bees, bees. Not to be confused with the deadly bees from c 3 k and that was so funny that was when I was glad we asked Trace about that because I remember Trace said some lame joke. I think it was a bee pun. And then everybody groaned at it and he's like, you make it up. (laughs) I love Trace. I meant to, yeah, I meant to sell it to him even more, but he's really fun to see live Trace, especially. Yeah, he's super animated. And, uh, but my most favorite is the black exploitation film they did mm. Eats East Meets Watts also known as like Dynamite <laughs> Brothers it has yes, two different yeah. names <laughs> so it is clearly a it had it had a budget bigger than a lot of their films they did but it's not a big budget film it is a B movie from the 70s that like somebody clearly saw Bruce Lee's doing well mm-hmm. Dolomite's doing well let's make a film that is that so a guy comes from China to find his brother in San Francisco and he on his trip down to down California to LA he meets a soul brother who is is fighting the man mm-hmm. and so it's got all the things you'd have seen in both of those movies so a bunch of kung fu jokes and a bunch of black exploitation jokes and it 
It has to be the first time I've seen an MST3K-ish production where the N-word is Whoa. said. <laughs> I, a I, racist cop calls the the main black character the N-word, and the and all the hosts just like spit out. They do a produced <laughs> spit take together. It's funny you said that, Henry, because that's the one I saw in Cleveland, I think in 2009. Mm. And uh, my friend bought us the tickets, and she must have been the first one to buy tickets. We were in the front row. Wow. Like, she were there. Like five feet from them, and they spit on us. <laughs> We got their spit. Their spit out water on us. It's like Suck I'm never it, watching this skin again. <laughs> so, so those are those are my three absolute favorites. Like they're so I've watched that Alien Factor one over and over and over. Same with these me Watch back when they were on Hulu. Now I believe they've been delisted. They're probably going to be on. I would bet they'll be on that Shout channel of stuff since Shout they're all included on the twelve film collection. Yes. I think every everything a lot of things have gone into print, but they'll be available in that collection on August eighth. We'll put a link to it underneath the show. Mm, I have to buy that. Uh, I've definitely pre-ordered and. I'm Maybe we yeah. won't put a link because I don't want you pre-ordering my and, copy. And the film crew's around there somewhere, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it was also... Rhino and Shout Factory just became the same company, so they, they ended up yeah. together. Yeah, there's a uh, there's four film crew episodes. The one I recommend, I forget what it's called, but it's the one they did with uh, Rue McClanahan playing a sexy stripper. Yes. The uh, yes. Blanche Christ. the Golden Girl. It's, a, it's an amazing four video set of just the, to see what could have been mm-hmm. if if Jim Mallon, had, Mallon hadn't forced them to not make it or the, not publish it. And it, they like, sat on it for like a year. Yeah, the sketches are pretty cute. I, mm-hmm. I kind of like riff tracks where it's like, well, occasionally riff tracks will do um for their christmas they do a great christmas movie every year and they'll always do like a little sketch before with all three guys together mm-hmm. it's very cute and they're a little midwestern mm-hmm. uh, zone but yeah. uh, i kind of like that they didn't have to go back to sketches they didn't mm-hmm. have to worry about sketches with, with uh, riff tracks and i i love how much it has ballooned out like riff tracks now just is it, clearly the move is like joel's doing mst3k and mm-hmm. some of the old people can come and visit but the rest of it pretty much just lives on Rift Tracks or in their separate ventures that mm-hmm. is friendly with Rift Tracks. Like Frank and Trace do the Mads, mm-hmm. and they but they clearly are cool with working with Rift Tracks. They've now done it two years in a row. They did the reunion and the summer special. Yeah, yeah. we're going to see MST3K live. Like there's three yeah. factions now touring around the country for you to well, enjoy. And, and yeah, and then Mary Joel mm-hmm. and and now Bridget has come back. Like she's she has gone back on on camera. Well, actually, mm-hmm. she was rarely she was the attractive lady who would play yeah. who would appear every now and then. But that was pretty so much my it favorite moments at the end of Space Mutiny. And yes. she was a writer too. But yep. yes. I mean, as someone who loves all these people it was so great to see them one by one trickling back it's like oh, go, oh good they don't hate trace oh good they don't hate frank oh good they're all getting along i like, like that they like each other i want yeah. to i need I, yes. to think they yeah. like each other they need to all go on camping trips and sleep in bunk and beds it, it, and uh, it's so strange that they, they they're, they're touring all of them are now currently touring the country doing the same thing they did 20 years ago but they're still kind of the only people doing that yeah and doing yeah. doing the new it is kind of a weird new form of comedy i know it's not mm. for everybody or it sounds weird in a pitch but like it's awesome that they I don't know. They get yeah. to still do the things that they create, and I yeah. want them to make money. Like yeah. I, I, I was really, uh, it was really awesome to hear Trace talk about the like the pay situation with the DVDs for MST3K as well. Like, and it's, but I want them to be able to just have these careers they want to have, and mm-hmm. then, and then, meanwhile, the new show can be its own thing. Yeah. Separate from and that, still really good, still seemingly really, yeah. part of the same ecosystem that made the show mm. wonderful. I guess we didn't talk too much about the new show. I, I did want to talk about yeah. that. Give a little mini review of like mm-hmm. I. Yeah, Reptilicus was a weird first episode to start with, but mm-hmm. you just have to get used to like what their voices sound like mm-hmm. and separating them in their head in your head. And also just Joe Jonah has a different energy than Joel and Mike. And mm-hmm. it's just kinda how it works. But and same with Baron and, and Hampton. I thought it I, I couldn't imagine it being as successful 
mm-hmm. as it was. Yeah. Because like by the time you get to Cry Wilderness, Cry Wilderness is a modern classic. That is the perfect for, second episode. It's really yeah, good. It's really good. Yeah, and that there's some of the biggest differences to me is that they get films that star people. Yeah. Like they like Avalanche is too famous. It's like, like it's, a, it's the most well produced movie I think they've ever watched. <laughs> it is still worth mocking, and it is a Roger Corman film. But yeah, Avalanche is who is who is in that? Uh, Rock, Rock Hudson, Mia Farrow, wow. and Robert Forster. That's right. Who, who played Mark Robert uh, Forster? Robert Forster. <laughs> and um, though my. I think Cry Wilderness was my favorite because it's just such a weird. Some of the best bad ones in all of them is when somebody tries to make a kids' film and can't and just yeah. fails at it. I feel like uh, I had concerns with the first episode because mm-hmm. obviously it's this thing I love and I and I don't want it to go bad, but I also want to be supportive. Uh, but they found their they found their groove and hearing about the production schedule, mm-hmm. I'm so I'm actually surprised it turned out so well. Yeah, because it sounded it's insane. grueling. But I'll say I'll put up front the, the couple things I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. One thing is I think there are too many jokes at times where mm-hmm. the, it's, um, it's breathless. Yeah, it's, it's relentless. I've spoken with you guys about it because I just complain about mm-hmm. things a lot, but. Uh, the the illusion of mystery science theater is oh it's these characters they're watching the movie they're responding to it obviously they're writing jokes but there's a time you know maybe like four or five times per episode now in these new ones I see it's just like you lose that illusion because you guys are just like stacking jokes really fast it's like yeah. this doesn't feel natural well, and it's yeah it's something Joel mentioned in in interviews about the production that they. They recorded the audio first, and then they acted out the audio. So it it was uncoupled from those things. And when you record the audio first, he's just like, he can see five seconds of silence. He's like, well, we need another riff right here. Just Mm. record one. So it just ends up being so. It's the production version of it. You end up so packed. And I agree. It is. It almost gets exhausting. Like, please, let me laugh at the last joke. Yeah. And um, the other thing I don't like is, and I like both of these people, but I don't like Felicia Day and Frank, uh, not Frank, sorry, Patton, um, Oswalt. Patton Oswalt as the new Mads. Uh, Patton is fine. I think Felicia Day has an energy that's different from what's happening around her. Mm. And it was funny that uh, Felicia Day, a professional actor, a very talented person, Mary Jo Peel is a person that was sort of shoved in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. When she came back, I was like, Mary Jo Peel is blowing Felicia Day out of the water. <laughs> I, and Kevin Murphy in his not so great uh, Bobo revamp mm-hmm. uh, suit. Like, I, I feel like they're, they know the energy, and Felicia Day's on like a different wavelength than she, everyone else. She is. I mean, she and same with Patton as well. But and her I, song went on way too long. I did. Well, look, <laughs> you didn't like the reunion with uh, the like uh, horrible uh, reunion. I but, don't care for that. And well, these are cameos we can spoil. That Jerry Seinfeld is guest stars yes. on our Mystery Science Theater and Mark episode. Hamill. The, yeah. the Seinfeld one was the craziest. I was like, what the fuck? It's it, it's, it's amazing. Joel game. used to help Seinfeld write yeah. jokes. They're old yeah. friends. I, I found out that from watching the. Any time an old MST3K person would be on anything, I'd watch it. And that includes uh, Comedians in Cars. Mm-hmm. So I watched that interview. But the, yeah, the, in the new season, Felicia Day, I think she is just used to... She's used to a different style of production. And mm-hmm. I, it's something, too, I it's noticed... Just too in, professional. <laughs> uh, well, and I noticed in all of them, this was something they absolutely did not have in the original seasons, is those bubbles that come up on screen to cover and edit. They, like... Oh, yeah. Clearly on the old show, they're like, well, we were either keep in Joel fucking up this line, uh-huh. or we are going to shoot again from the beginning because we're not going to edit. That, but, that is odd. Yeah. <laughs> could... Well, it's a production thing, too. Like, I, I feel it is because I read that, like, they... They filmed all of those mm-hmm. together in a week, every host segment in yeah. a week. So that is very tight turnaround for 14 episodes, like mm-hmm. how much they had to do. And that's going to take, like, if they needed second take, you just go like, okay, we're going to just have to edit in. But that does change the energy of host segments, you but, know? Yeah. There's other stuff that, like, 
Tom Servo could never really use his hover skirt. Yeah, let's but now talk when there's now when there's tits and avalanche, he just he yeah, just that was pretty there. funny. I like that. I love yeah. it. Or they mean, fly a drone in front of boobs. Uh, they don't overuse it. In fact, they use it pretty well. There's there's one scene of like rockets like uh, elevating or like mm-hmm. they're they're tilting upwards, and Tom flies up and is like pretending to pull them upwards. Yes. And they yeah. and I love when Joel would do that occasionally, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they use it well. I think it's not too distracting. Yeah. Well, and and they have so much more because it's an HD now. That was another thing I had to get used to. The silhouettes are much smaller. They're much yeah. smaller, and Gypsy will Gypsy comes in that. to I drop something that. and usually drop one joke. Yeah, it's nice. Joel's such a fucking guru in interviews. And like, what what is she doing? Oh, yeah, she's dropping the payload. <laughs> what is that? Would you like to explain anything else, Joel? Yeah. He's like, and he's like, well, I don't. You know, it's just that like there's so much in widescreen. There's a lot more of the screen being unused, and we just thought it would be nice. So. Okay, Jesus Christ. Well, and I love the rhythm to it, too, that it gave mm-hmm. me. By the time I was getting to the, like, 10th episode, I realized, like, she shows up at a specific time yeah. every time. So when she drops it down in the beginning, you're like, ah, this is how an episode ends. And I, then when it, when the episode's almost over and she's picking up the thing, you're like, ah, the episode's almost see, over. Mm-hmm. Gypsy's back. And this is what I hate about the new... I did, what I do hate about it is the Netflix model. They ele- unleashed all these at the same time. Yeah, that's why I've only watched five. I want to savor them. and Because I, I started to binge them. I would rewatch them when I... Star Crash is too good. I'm watching, mm-hmm. watching this I one again. I love Star Crash. Yes. And, uh, it, but and to have to... To watch them and keep up with the momentum of other fans felt kind of exhausting, but I yeah. feel like there's something hidden and secret about Gypsy's appearance in there, that if I they're tied so. together in a certain order... Well, they're definitely... Kevin Murphy made fun of this on the sci-fi channel of, mm-hmm. like, this is a Cowtown puppet show. Quit mm-hmm. trying to give us a story arc. Mm-hmm. But they do build a story arc into Netflix season. Yeah. They, they also take advantage of the fact that they couldn't, in the old show, of, like... We know what episode you watch right before this. Yeah. So especially if the actor from the Time Machine movie then appears oh, in yeah. Avalanche, they can just say like, "Hey, the guy from the I, last." I think movie. it's a loose requirement for Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. If you hear Bill, Bill Burr talk about F is for Family, that it's just yeah. sort of like this needs to have more Netflix bingey quality totally. and story based stuff. You can see that in Kimmy Schmidt as well, and mm-hmm. definitely I'm not spoil. I won't spoil it for people like Bob who haven't finished the season, but like. They end the season on a cliffhanger that mm. can be picked up in the next season. I mean, and even so, little things of like here's they have a little chart of what movies they've watched so far. Yeah, in I the, love in the right I love order. that process of it. They shove but, a tube into. And one thing yeah. as a huge podcast fan that's been interesting for me mm-hmm. is that I've been listening to the head writer of the new series on podcast for the past like eight years. He's the host of the Flop House, mm. which is a bad movie podcast. And this, uh, he used to be the Daily Show head writer under John Stewart. The second that he announced he'd be doing the new MST3K as head writer, I'm like, he's the perfect guy. Perfect yeah. guy. Yes, perfect. I mean. You either heard. love listening to him or you hate listening to him because he won't shut up. He <laughs> is constantly riffing. He won't he won't let anyone get a word in. But he is perfect for MST3K, and I'm so glad he's a part of the show, and I hope he stays part of the show because he is the perfect guy, the nerdiest fucker, the most riffy guy in the universe. And my my compliment goes to Baron Vaughn, who is a guy I did yeah. I did know and I did like I do I loved him on uh, Malton on movies, and mm. I just Tom Servo's one of my favorite characters ever, and I think he's fucking perfect. The yeah. right amount of impressions, the right inflections. He's the singer. Uh, it, you need a singer it, like that. Yeah. It fucking rules. Like I couldn't Murphy. be happier than Baron and, Vaughn's and, role. And I love Hampton Young as Crow. Like yeah. I think he really, he really taps into the sarcasm of Crow mm-hmm. and the angry energy and the dorkiness. Like Crow is the biggest nerd on the satellite of love, mm-hmm. and he he plays that in his Crow as well. I mean, I don't know what his intentions are, but it does feel like a mix of both Crows, yeah. like mm-hmm. sort of the latter era Trace Blue Crow and and the Corbett Crow yes. mixed together. The infant infantilized Crow and the 
stepdad crow or the yeah. stepchild crow who's just a dick from Bill Corbett. Yeah, and and yeah, the puppets do move around a lot more. That was kind of a weird thing to get used to. Yeah, but I think we've all brought it up. Just like crow, crow's uh, he doesn't emote with his eyes anymore, and that was a very important way for this stiff, awkward puppet to show any emotion, like yeah. rolling his eyes or darting his eyes back and forth. Crow's eyes, like you pointed out to me, Chris, they're always facing the screen. They are in most cases, and maybe they move sometimes, but not in the new show. Not in the new show. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, not, the new show, yeah. the, the puppeteering seems. I don't know. I know they enhanced it, but it seems less than what Trace did. But it yeah. is hints and, in puppeteers, but mm-hmm. it, it also causes a disconnect because Baron and Hampton were there filming it, but they had the setup of like, you're all over here and you talk and the mouse will move when you talk. It's the same way it pioneered in uh, the remote technology pioneered by Emmett Otter in the mm-hmm. Fraggle Rock and Dinosaurs and uh, Ninja Turtles as well. Oh, and I also do love the new opening is great. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Armar Superstar is a great version mm-hmm. of the theme song. And and I like the addition to the I like the addition to the continuity too of like, oh, the Skeleton Crew. There, It's a great yeah. name for them and they just do all the odd jobs. One thing I really like is um, they have commercial Commercials, like commercial breaks, but Patton Oswalt tells you what happened in the movie because thirteen, the move. You you always lose what's actually happening in the movie with the jokes. Like Red Zone Cuba, I watched it five times before I realized they actually went to Cuba. (laughs) Because it's all just a brown hellscape they're in. I gotta cut this. I love talking about this show. I I I don't know. I I feel like we're done, but we gotta get to the Trace interview. So why don't we hear what Trace thinks about the new season when we get back? This episode of Laser Time is brought to you by Casper Premium Mattresses. That's right. You can get $50 towards one. Try it out for yourself just by going to caspertrial.com slash laser time. Davey sleeps on one. He loves it. It got shipped to his house. He didn't have to go to a big box store and spend thousands of dollars. Instead, Casper mattresses start at just $500, and they come in every size of the rainbow that cannot be a term from twin to California king. If you're looking for a new mattress, they're trying to give you every reason to try it out for yourself. If you're looking for a new mattress, Casper is offering you a reason to check out their high-quality mattresses that combine high-density memory and premium latex foam to create a sleep surface that contours to your body and keeps you cool and balanced throughout the night. But perhaps the best incentive is the 100-night risk-free trial. Not day, 100 nights. Sleep on it for 100 nights. That's almost a third of a year. If you don't like it, call Casper. They'll refund your money. Come pick it up from your house and dispose of it. No muss, no fuss. So once again, mattress shoppers, you can go to caspertrial.com slash laser time and save $50 on any mattress. Ahoy hoy everybody, this is Bob Mackey, Chris Antista, Henry Gilbert, and when you're done listening to this, we'd like you to check out Talking Simpsons. It's our chronological exploration of The Simpsons only on the Laser Time Podcast Network, where we'll discuss why Barney is the MVP of Season 3. Whatever you say, Mom! When we try to figure out what every reference means. Weren't you one of the little rascals? And where we'll tell you how to avoid the poison donut. There is a poison one, isn't there, Smithers? No, sir. I discussed this with our lawyers. They consider it murder. Damn their oily hides! For all this more, listen to Talking Simpsons every Wednesday at TalkingSimpsons.com or wherever you find your podcasts. 
Hey folks, Chris here with your weekly update. Oh my god, everything's been weird around here. But it's gonna get even weirder this Monday because you can watch Planet of the Apes with us. There's been a lot of ape talk in the Laser Time studio, and I think the fun way to cap it off was uh, with a, a Planet of the Apes movie. We let our patrons vote on it. That's one of the things you get at patreon.com slash lasertime. And they voted on which Planet of the Apes we'd watch, and they chose the OG original, 1968's Charlton Heston starring Planet of the Apes. It is awesome. Revisit it with us. I'll regale you with everything I know about the entire series and point out all the fun stuff for you. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And if you uh, if you can't make it live at 6 o'clock today, this Monday, you can pick up the commentary as well as the video commentary on uh, patreon.com slash lasertime, as well as a weekly bonus show. we got a Spider-Man cartoon commentary up there for you and hundreds of other movie commentaries. And again, I want to drive home the point of a weekly show because I want to tell you why Dave and I dressed up like old people and didn't take any fucking pictures of it. What the fuck was wrong with us, Dave? We'll also be streaming this week on YouTube.com slash LaserTime. We'll have something that rolls our love for apes and MST3K in together. Please come join us and see if that works out. I have no idea if it will, but it's uh, something super stupid. Uh, until then, please enjoy Henry, me, Henry, and Dave playing the shit out of even more Fire Pro Wrestling. If, for my money, the best goddamn wrestling game in the last uh, five years. Very entertaining just to watch. You can, of course, check out LaserTimePodcast.com, where you can check out our other shows, Talking Simpsons, 302010, and Game Apocalypse. Should be a lot of fun. I'm out of plugs. Let's get back. To, let's go talk to Trace Ballou, shall we? I was alone with the world to tame. I was evil but feeling blue. Looking around. Talking to clowns, never guessing that I'd find you. Working the fryer, I was never a crier. I had a void in the shape of you. Looking for love, hoping for evil. All I got was chicken cordon blue. But a bean, we're living in deep 13. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm very happy with our next guest that we have on the line right now. Uh, one of the pioneers of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and host of Movie Sign with the Mads. We have none other than Trace Ballou on the phone. Hey, how you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. Yes. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Much better now. Much better now. <laughs> very happy we got you on the line finally. It's taken a while, but uh, hopefully it'll be worth it. And if it isn't... You can press delete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's it's been it's it's odd because in the time we've been trying to land an interview with you, I think we've seen the Mads live twice, which is mm. awesome. Oh yeah, we've seen tw- uh, two times. Oh, where'd you see it? San Francisco. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, Glenn or Glenda, and um, whatever uh, that walk, weird walking walk around. The dark walk the dark streets. Walk the dark yes, streets yes. is the coolest movie I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> it it's quite special. There's a reason why no one's heard of it, but uh, we'd like to bring it back out into the light of uh, uh, at least a, a projector bulb. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're quite fond of that one. Yeah, just just watching it, it reminded me, like, this could be done very well. It looked, <laughs> it reminded me of Ballistic X versus Sever with no budget or permits. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's rather evident that they have no permit. Yeah. Uh, it's, essentially it's sort two... of like, oh, can't shoot here. <laughs> we'll go to an empty factory. Obscure location. Yeah, two guys who are just, I forget the reason why, but hunting each other through the streets of L.A. Well, with photo guns. Yeah, with photo guns. <laughs> well, don't worry. They forgot about why they were doing it, too. But they kept filming. <laughs> they just kept going. Well, well Trace, you, like, uh, this is Henry, Henry, Chris, and Bob here, and I think one of the things that unites us is our love for Mystery Science Theater 3000, and it is impossible 
to overstate your importance to that show. Um, and uh, man, where, where do we want to start with that? How did you enter into doing the show on KTMA and at the very like beginning of Mystery Science Theater? Well, uh, I knew uh, Joel and Josh uh, from the stand-up uh, community in Minneapolis in the 80s. It was during the comedy boom. We had a writing group of sorts that met every week at the library. Uh, originally, we were meeting in a local bar, and we realized we weren't getting any work done. Uh, so let's go to a place that doesn't have beer. And we we chose the library, luckily. Uh, and Joel came in one day, and he had the this idea for a TV show. He said, he kind of explained what it was, but it didn't make much sense to us. And he said, well, come on over tomorrow to the television station, and we'll start doing the show. And we went over to the television station the next day. We walked in. Uh, there was a little bit of a set. And he said, go pick up some of those puppets, and we'll start doing the show. Wow. And that was it. Uh, I picked up Crow, and Josh picked up Gypsy. And, and the early version of Tom Servo, who was called Beeper, uh, and we started writing sketches and sitting through the movies. And originally we were, there was no riffing. It was yeah. just we were going to talk about the films. A gasoline tanker? So I think you'll find it comfortable. After you, Dr. Kernitz. Thank you, Captain. They're going to get tanked. Tanked, Joe. Good one, Crow. But well, we quickly learned that we had to fill dead air, and there was a lot to fill. Uh, and we didn't fill all of it, but uh, we started making jokes and entertaining ourselves, and, and that really was how it started. Yeah, and one of the things I, I love about your contribution to the show is just that like, you're not only the mad scientist on one side of the tube, you're a puppeteer, you're a writer... And then whenever I see behind-the-scenes footage, you're like holding a glue gun and building stuff. <laughs> we had to wear a lot of hats yeah. because uh, we didn't have a very big budget, but we put it all on the screen. So, Trace, uh, when did you first feel that MST3K was becoming an institution, not just a fun thing you did with your friends? Uh, well, you know, it was about maybe 93, sometime in there, that we started getting national press. Mm -hmm. That was really kind of the the telltale sign that, hey, someone else is watching this. <laughs> we, uh, we thought, you know, it's just being put on tape and it goes out and maybe nobody cares. But uh, that was really the moment when we went, oh, yeah, this is something. And then we just went right back to work and kind of <laughs> forgot about it. But the fact that it's been on, it's still popular and it's been off the air, well, the old version has been off the air for 10 or 12 years or however long it's been, really speaks to how beloved the show became. And I like how much the show endures. It Like, I just got a TV antenna and discovered a channel called Comet, and they run the older MST3Ks all day long. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. You can find it everywhere. It's uh, I think it's still on YouTube. It's, it, um, yeah, it's on YouTube. It's everywhere. What's that? It's it's just odd that it's odd that it kept like I just remember writing in letters to get this show uncanceled, and now it couldn't be more places. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Especially uh, growing up, uh, now it's everywhere. When I was a kid and a teenager, I had to uh, go on the internet and find people who recorded it, and yeah. they would have to dub me tapes and send them to me in the mail, and sometimes steal my money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think that's also part of the success of the show is that it it wasn't really 
well known and it, you had to seek it out and uh, you had to share it with friends and it, it was kind of like in the days of uh, albums record albums like that didn't get a lot of airplay it's like hey I really like this guy you probably haven't heard of him but I think you'll like this <laughs> this artist I think that that quality of not having it commercially rammed down the audience's throat really helped you know make it uh, cultish Mm-hmm. but also that it was discovered by the fans, and the fans have kept it alive. Trace, I had a production question, too, back then. You had you, you had to, like, become a puppeteer mm-hmm. and also be an on-screen actor and a writer on the show, and, and also a lot of those... If you can see it in like the videos of Poopy that have all the <laughs> uh, have all the flubs and stuff, like you had long takes, and if one person yeah. goofed, you had to start over. Like that, that seems like it was would have been pretty difficult at times. Been informed by Native Runner that her beloved long lost explorer slash father is dead, dead. dead. She's alone, abandoned, bereft, be whatever. And her ah, face displays ah, ah, ah. this for fifty points, Mister Mike Nelson. Hang on, cut. I... Oh. I'm blind. 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 Uh, well, uh, being younger helped, um, <laughs> but we, we were all subject to our own uh, writing Jones. And you go, hey, I'm in writing mode. I'm going to write a page of dialogue. <laughs> and then you get to the performing part of it and you go, who wrote this? <laughs> Why do I have so many lines? Is it safe to say that Crow is the most difficult to puppeteer? Well, both or all all robots had their challenges. Crow was uh, kind of like puppeteering a carpenter square. Uh-huh. Uh, he was. I had forearms like a major league pitcher when I was younger, <laughs> just from holding that puppet up over my head. What do you think of the on the new show? the The puppeteers are separate from the the guys doing the voices. Are you a little jealous of that? Well, I, I haven't seen the new show, but I've heard that that's the technique they're using, and I don't quite get why. Although it does create more jobs, which is cool, <laughs> but I I don't know why they need to spread it out like that. I, I haven't seen the show, so I can't speak to the performance. Hmm. But well, Crow's arms I move would... now. I will say that. I, I guess that's important. Um, <laughs> I did want to ask about your performance as Crow Trace. Uh, in the beginning, he had sort of a more uh, childish, more like babyish voice in performance. But as as uh, you got into season four and five, maybe he became a little darker and his voice got a little deeper. Was that just a natural evolution of uh, the character, or how you wanted to you know control him? Um, I think that was just my own uh, laziness. Um, <laughs> we, we started out. Uh, with that kind of high-pitched voice. And uh, originally on KTMA, it was very staccato. And every time Crow said something, it was, yes, Joel Hudson, or no, Joel Hudson. So that got old really fast. And finding a comfort zone to do the character, uh, probably also, I think somewhere in there, my testicles actually departed (laughs) my body cavity. And that helped with the deeper voice. Okay, you big babies, here are the rules. Go to bed now and don't get up or I'll put your hands in a garbage disposal. Shut up, kid. Look, Crow, there's no way. I'm bigger than you and I'm older than you. There's no way you're my babysitter. Just for that, you wash my feet. Crow. Shut up. Crow. Shut up. Crow. Shut up. Crow. Go to bed. Crow. You shall live. Thank you. Shut up. Yeah, you had uh, you were the only uh, on the Comedy Central shows once once uh, Josh left. You were the only guy doing both sides of the camera too. Like, were there some days where you were 
still in costume or some of your costume as Forrester and then holding up the crow puppet or were those like separate days? Well, we shot the host segments with the puppets in the morning and we did the uh, mad scientists in the afternoon. So uh, sometimes we would double up. Like there's sometimes where we would shoot some stuff out of sequence, but I, I don't remember too much of that. Mm. That's, um, I, I heard people say that it was a surprisingly low stress production. It really was. We rolled into work maybe nine thirty. Started talking about lunch immediately. <laughs> um, we we go to lunch about eleven thirty. Somehow we got some work done in the morning, and then we'd uh, watch the movie all afternoon when we were writing and leave about five five thirty. It was a, it was a pretty civilized uh, work schedule. Is it, does that have a lot to do with it being like so disconnected from Western entertainment out in L.A.? It, it might have something to do with that. When we all, a lot of us ventured out to L.A. and got jobs on network shows, there was a lot of, um, we have to be in the room so that they see that we're here working. <laughs> when, when in fact we were watching baseball or the stock market channel or, you know, there was a lot of wasted time. Uh, but when we were on MST, we just wanted to get the work done and then go home. The production of the movie was done yeah. the same there in out of in out of Minnesota as well, right? Uh, yes, we shot the. Uh, I think the first three days we spent shooting the movie sequence, and uh, oddly enough, delivered like eighty percent of the finished film <laughs> after <laughs> wow. three days. Then we went into production. That was shot at Paisley Park, actually, uh, Prince's uh, wow. facility. Wow. Did you meet him? Um, we didn't. We never saw Prince, <sighs> but there were a lot of scarves and candles around. <laughs> and I, I know, I know, you guys had. Uh, it's reported there's been a tough time in the movie, but I love the movie, and I, you have the burden of... There's no theme song. You have to deliver a monologue that opens it up and explains the premise of everything. Ah, you're here. Hello, welcome. I'm Dr. Clayton Forrest, and soon you will all bow down before me. What you are about to see is an experiment, and by observing, you have become part of that experiment. For I have shot a man into space... I'm driving him crazy, forcing him to watch the worst movies ever made. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why we made that decision, because the theme song seemed to be like the natural, you know, thing to do. We it set everything up and told the story, and I don't know why we veered from that. There's, there was probably a reason. I'm not saying it was a good one, mm -hmm. but that could have been a studio note. Um, no the song. other thing that we didn't have, which we should have had, was Frank Conniff mm -hmm. as the other mad scientist. Oh, man. So he had just left the show at that point? Uh, he'd left uh, prior to that. Although he had written on the movie, we had done it as a live uh, event, and he had written on that. So he, he should have been credited on that. He should have been in the movie. It would have been much more uh, fun to do that with him. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I uh, it, What do you, you know, you, you and Frank are now doing the live shows on your own. Like, what, on MST3K and now, what do you think to find... You you and his voices as riffers compared to the rest of the group. You know, uh, the rest of the group, everybody's still riffing. Um, I, I just think Frank and I had a nice chemistry together, and uh, we still complement each other uh, pretty well in the live environment. I don't know. Uh, I don't quite know how to define it more than that. We can listen to uh, your, your show. I really love your show. I didn't think I needed another movie show in my life, but I'm <laughs> sick of hearing people my age talk about movies. I love... 
movie sign with the Mads. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's our other venture with Carolina Hidalgo. Yeah, yep, she's great. We we hope people enjoy it. It's a, it's conversation, three goofballs talking about movies mm-hmm. we like or we don't. Yeah, what is the what is the process for you guys picking what movie you talk about on that show? Because I saw it, like, it can bounce from Captain America Civil War into Citizen Kane within an episode. Well, we, we try to do movies that are in... Uh, in the theaters, but sometimes our travel schedule does not allow us to mm. see stuff. So we'll go back to Netflix and go, well, here's a movie. For instance, uh, the one coming up, uh, the next episode is we talk about Zodiac. Oh, yeah. Um, our hometown. And I had seen it when it came out in 2007. I really loved that movie. Yeah. And Carolina and Frank had not seen it. Um, and we needed to do a film that we could watch. Um, when we had time, because Carolina's going out of town this week. And that was the decision. Frank uh, looked at Netflix. That was the first movie that popped up, and he went, let's do that. That's, mm-hmm. it's, it holds up really well. It, it just turned 10 years old, and I never hear anybody talk about it. Mm-hmm. it you know, it when it came out, it didn't get a lot of attention. Yeah. It didn't do great, but it is a... It's a terrific movie. Yeah. I think it's it's wonderful. I, I like it better than Fight Club. Before we move uh, on to your post-MST3K stuff, I did want to talk about the actual movie selections on MST3K <laughs> because I know Frank Conniff, uh, he was in charge of choosing the movies, but I did want to ask you... Um, what is what is your uh, what was the worst movie? I guess maybe the worst experience you had with a movie on the show because it's surprising that uh, after MST3K ended, I was surprised that I could actually find movies worse than Manos: The Hands of Fate. <laughs> they are out there. Oh, absolutely. There, um, Manos was Manos was a drug induced <laughs> some kind of experience that I I don't have any word for <laughs> other than painful. But that was a unique find. That that wasn't the worst movie. I think we kind of agree that The Castle of Fu Manchu is maybe the, the worst movie we had to sit through. Wow. That one really stung. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough that. one, isn't it? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Boy, I'd hate to meet this movie in a dark alley some night, huh? Yeah, <laughs> sure, whatever. Dark hey, um, Tom, you what? got a little... Uh, don't, you, no, don't. No, really, you don't, got don't, a little... No, just stop it, okay? Just stop it! <laughs> well, I'm saying this is terrible, right? I'm going to the page. Oh, stop it. Oh, what's the deal with Fu Manchu anyways? It's not like he's really evil. He's just dull. He's like some twisted bureaucrat and silk jam uh, uh, I'm really glad you brought that up uh, Crow because I happen to have some artists right now. Oh, no, no. it's also a very hard episode to watch so I can feel your pain it's just like I can feel the uh, the drudgery you had to suffer through yeah it, it really should be much better it's color it's got you know people you've heard of and and yet, it's very painful. And I wasn't sure if you're aware. I brought up Manos. The whole Manos restoration project that's been in the works for a year. I think the Blu-ray just came out. Somebody just mysteriously found a work print in an attic somewhere, wow. and now it's just like you've never seen Torgo in such pristine detail. <laughs> I know. Uh, I I don't know if it helps the story or not, but uh, there's a whole um, industry uh, uh, surrounding the Manos idea. Oh, yeah. You know, there's there's a puppet show. There's a musical. There's the restoration. I think there's a video game. There's, there's absolutely a, a video game. Yes. I have played the video game, yes. I, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's your favorite disease? <laughs> oh, well, the Zika is kind of awful. Well, that film is the Zika virus of movies. It kind, it kind of is outsider art uh, in a very non-artistic way. It's just fun to see what yeah. a fertilizer salesman could do. 
it's it's some awful graffiti that was left on film <laughs> and does that translate over now to the mads like does frank do a lot of the is he the main movie chooser for the the films you do on the live show the mads um no actually the uh glenn or glenda was a choice we made uh, together um we had been doing plan nine and we kind of got tired of that that's sort of been overdone really mm. and then we we really like ed wood so mm-hmm. we were looking for something contemporary to do when we were going into denver to do shows and we thought well maybe one of the pot movies because it's denver and you know <laughs> mm-hmm. but then we looked at those and they're pretty terrible we said well, what's a what's a contemporary theme and we remembered glenn or glenda and so that was a mutual decision. Uh, I'll take full blame for Walk the Dark Street. Uh, I showed that to Frank and <laughs> kind of showed it to him like it was some kind of venereal disease. <laughs> Frank, take a look at this. And Dude, how see did what you, you think? How did you find that? Did you? Is that something you remembered seeing? <laughs> no, no one's remembered seeing that one. <laughs> uh, I was looking on the internet and I was looking for film noir and I plugged in film noir and I plugged in public domain and I got my search results brought that title up plus Chuck Connors and I went (laughs) okay I'm in so uh, with the Mads, are you using that as a way to do movies you couldn't do on MST3K or maybe couldn't get the rights to? And on that note, uh, can you talk about movies that you wanted to do on MST3K, but there was no way to actually do them? Uh, with the Mads, we're, we're trying to stay public domain because they're available. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like the 50s sensibilities. There's really no modern film that we want to take on. That's kind of Rift Tracks territory, mm-hmm. uh, doing doing modern films. Your your second part of your question, was there a film we did or wanted to do on MST? Right. There was a an Elvis movie, a Western, called Charo, and we really wanted to do that one mm-hmm. because Western and Elvis, come on, that's got to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a little company called Disney owned the rights. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys did uh, Godzilla movies, surprisingly, and Gamera yeah. movies, and as soon as you did them, it seemed like that there was a big no-no about releasing those in any way. Uh, Toho yeah. owns the rights to those movies. And- Somehow those slipped through the cracks, and, and Sandy Frank had the license to those in the United States at the time. But now they're untouchable. They're that prize uh, material. In fact, there was the controversy with, was it Rhino released one of the Godzillas? And um, we had to do a patchwork plea to the fans to discard their Godzilla (laughs) movie and substitute a giant Gila monster film. And we <laughs> did. I own volume 10. Never getting rid of it. All the Gamera movies did come out on DVD, they did. surprisingly. And that, now they're unavailable again. Uh, are they really? Yep. And I think that was... The Gamera... The Gamera's are, but um, Godzilla, that's, the sea, that's tied up. The sea monster is kind of lost to us. And it's it, I first didn't experience that the... Uh, I don't think the Japanese understand what MST3K is. Yeah. And just a, it, it seems like just pure mockery instead of kind of reverence for that stuff because that's mm. what... I loved about the show is that I'm a, you know, kind of a lonely little kid who wants to watch these movies anyway, and I get to watch them with these people. Mm. And I think that's sort of the beauty of the show. Yeah, I think we reintroduced a lot of films that I remember watching as a kid. Well, and certainly Manos would never have 
seen sunshine without uh, <laughs> MST bringing it back to life. I think you should take tremendous pride in that, even though it is Manos. <laughs> <laughs> I blame Frank Conniff. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about uh, you leaving a Misty 3K trace. Um, and did you have a roadmap? Did you did you know you were going to move to L.A.? And when you got to L.A., how was that experience? It seemed, based on these sketches you wrote about making the movie, everyone... <laughs> on the staff hated the L.A. business culture, the L.A. Hollywood culture. And, uh, um, uh, what kind of budget are we looking at here, uh, Pearl, uh, Dr. Forrester? <laughs> well, we could only get you about $30 million for the entire movie, so how that shakes out is uh, roughly, well, 10% for each of us, 10% uh, for the company, insurance... Uh, Administration, holding fee, completion bonds... So we we should be able to shoot you about eight hundred dollars for the entire movie. What? Eight hundred from for thirty mil? I can't do anything for eight hundred dollars. Come on. Um, you know, I was really fortunate when I moved out there. I had no plan to answer your question. No, I had no plan. I've never had a plan. Mm -hmm. I, I moved there because I had more friends uh, out there than New York. Um, and I thought, if I'm going to be homeless, I'm going to pick a warm place. <laughs> Very smart. But I, I spent a couple of years just sort of, you know, draining my bank account and looking for work. And, and then uh, Josh was offered this uh, head writer position with the revamped America's Funniest Videos. And he called me up because he knew I could mock video and i worked for that show for nine seasons wow so i i had a great experience you know and you do run into those people that just don't know anything but you know you're going to run into that in any industry really i was disappointed because you get out there and you go oh, this is the best and the brightest and everybody knows everything about movies <laughs> and entertainment and, mm. you know now these are just people with jobs <laughs> that's i did wonder how many doors MST3K open when yeah. you go out to LA in the mid '90s because you know, from my perception, it's the greatest show ever. Did that? Did being on that show help you out in LA at all? Well, it, it opened a lot of doors. I never got solid work from it until I met Paul Feig, mm -hmm. and he was a big fan of MST and offered me work on uh, Freaks and Geeks. Oh yeah. All right, let's settle down. Got a lot to do today. We're going to be dissecting kittens. Just trying to get your attention, but you will be getting your lab partners today. Uh, McKenna? Um, and then more recently, sent me a message and said, hey, I'm doing this little space show called Other Space. Uh, would you like to be a robot? <laughs> you know, as far as those humans are concerned, robots are only good for three things. Cheap labor, remote bombings, and uh, off the beaten path sex stuff. So uh, Paul Feig and Josh Weinstein are the only people that have actually got work from. <laughs> well, those are two awesome dudes to get from. Yeah, yeah I, being on Freaks and Geeks, though, like another show, mm -hmm. unappreciated, holds up yeah. extremely well, and new people discover it all the time. I, I was going to watch a show called Freaks and Geeks anyway, but yeah. then when I see you and Joel yeah. appear on it, I'm like, it, it made me just freak out <laughs> even more so. Yeah, it was, you know, another one of those shows that, uh, it should have lived longer, but uh, it was so much fun to work on, and that uh, was just such a pleasure. The the cast and crew were like family. It was it was terrific. It was too good to live. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a shame. It's one of those shows. Everybody, oh, this was good, and like you can't resurrect it. Everybody's thirty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how long it would have lasted. You know, maybe they could have kept turning the cast over. Yeah. 
but it's one of the the few entertainment projects centered around high school that had high school age people in it. Yeah, I guess it was. Was yeah, yeah it's true. And it, uh, it and you got to like go back to the eighties, but play <laughs> like a dorky teacher then, which uh, you that was really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I think if I was a teacher in the eighties, that would have been how I would have been. <laughs> I would have been a horrible teacher. Uh, I also wanted to ask, uh, speaking of cult things, uh, you kind of had a, you, I believe you did have a cameo in the fourth season of Arrested Development, didn't you? Like, how did how did that happen? Actually, most of the performance that had so captivated Tobias hey, maybe she came into this light bulbs and was, a minute ago. was performed by a fishing here. line. This is the gayest Did this fishing line break too? Oh, um... There's an example of another fan, um, the uh, producer of that show, mm-hmm. uh, was a big fan of MST, and um, it fit well with their storyline that they could stick us in there as, uh, in silhouette form. So that was that was just a, a phone call, really. Wow. I just sent my, my audio in, for, actually from my iPhone. Oh, wow. That was another of those great moments of, I'm watching a thing I already mm-hmm. like, and then mst3k appears and it's just like wow arrested development was really good at rewarding comedy nerds and that was kind of the last piece of the puzzle i'm so glad they (laughs) got it in there yeah it was fun to do it was the only other show i actually was on was west wing but it was a very blink or you miss it kind of uh, appearance did you get killed uh no um (laughs) but i i had one line my friend was directing the episode and he said hey maybe you can do this and i went i don't know could wreck the show (laughs) I also wanted to ask about uh, your your comic book too. That was, um, you know, I, I I'm a big comic book fan, and so then I see, you know, you've, you've left Mystery Science, and then you're going to be doing Here Come the Big People. So I I pre-ordered it, and it was with Event Comics, who like now Joe Casada runs Marvel, and Jimmy oh, wow. Palmiotti and, and Amanda Connor are big wigs over at DC. But I, I was curious how how that that comic book came together. Well, the uh, editor. Uh, at event, uh, Lori Braddock uh, partners with those guys, uh, Joe and Jimmy. She knew that I was, you know, leaving uh, the show, and she said, "You got to get something out there. You got to get something going, something that you can, you know, sell, and people will remember that you're still alive." And <laughs> so, put that together, and uh, it was it was a great deal of fun. You know, yeah, those. I I wish my career was just a tenth of what. Uh, Joe or Jimmy or Amanda are doing right now. Well, what was the idea behind leaving the show? Because again, it was just to me, it was devastating at the time to lose <laughs> a mad and a puppeteer at the exact same in the exact same season. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's all kinds of different versions of the story. Uh, long and short of it was time to go. Uh, there were, you know, creative differences, as they say, in mm-hmm. the trades. We were trying to develop other stuff, and it just didn't seem like that was happening. And we had done the film, and, you know, it, it did okay, and it was fun to do. But it was like, I want to do other stuff. I want to try other things. Yeah. And had I known that it would have been so hard to get anything else going, <laughs> uh, I, I probably wouldn't have left. But um, you know, sometimes you just gotta you gotta go. Mm-hmm. You gotta you know open the door and see where the wind blows you. You mentioned other projects. Uh, was Best Brains always intended to be sort of a creative sandbox for you guys to try different things, or was it just always going to be MST3K? Um, I think we tried to make it a sandbox, uh, but we kept finding cat 
poop in the. <laughs> uh, uh, it, yeah, it just it was set up to do one thing, and the personalities involved you know, that were in control w- wouldn't allow mm. any anything else mm. to go. And so we tried to develop other stuff, but uh, the machine was built to make one toy. Mm. Can you remember what any of those other th- projects were that didn't get off the ground? Ah, uh, boy, we had. Uh, so many things pitched. One, uh, one that we worked on quite extensively was uh, mascots. That actually, the the they were human beings, but they were mascots. And I can't really remember the <laughs> uh, the intent behind that. There was another one that was a, uh, about sort of like a, a Muppet show, but they're all aliens, hmm. and they object uh, humans uh, to do uh, to learn about them. There was a couple other ones I don't recall what they were, but uh, I had pitched a talk show at the time uh, where all the guests would be like uh, carved out of old footage, um, <laughs> sort of, sort of oh, like those early uh, or not early, but the uh, uh, what was it? The Fred Astaire commercial where he's dancing with a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, like a reverse we space that ghost. Technique, so all the guys on the on the panel, all the guests on the talk show, would be like um, John Wayne. <laughs> um, but you could have like every version of John Wayne as guest, uh, and that was just incredibly stupid in its expense <laughs> and uh, a rights nightmare. Yeah, that's who. Yeah. Walter Parks perked up when I brought that up at a DreamWorks meeting, and, but then we peed that meeting down our leg, so mm. that never happened. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, so in two thousand six. Uh, Cinematic Titanic yeah. began, and I was curious, what was the formation of that? Like how, you know, it had been around 10 years since you had left Mystery Science Theater, and then a lot of the uh, original people get together for this. Uh, well, Joel and Josh and I had gotten together in L.A., and we're trying to pitch uh, different ideas out there, and we really wanted to work together again and didn't quite know how. And around that same time, uh, Jim had contacted Joel about doing, you know, new MST. Huh. Uh, and so that kind of got the, uh, the juices going again. And then that fell apart. I think Jim then did his, uh, animated version, the bots are back thing, mm. but we all wanted to work together in, you know, what, what were we good at? And that was movie riffing. Mm. And so, uh, that's where cinematic Titanic was born. It was like another version, only uh, it was going to be all studio. Um, and we created a backstory that would justify why we are all back and ourselves and uh, riffing on movies. We did, uh, I don't know how many, they're all released now, the studio versions. In fact, Shout Factory just released all of yeah. the cinematic mechanic um, episodes. Yeah, I think that's the only way they're all available right now is in that mm-hmm. one big collection. And it's awesome. Uh, and I, I I hope it's not out yet. I meant to pick it up immediately. <laughs> I think it. I just got one in the mail. So okay, it might be out soon. Okay, exit um, interview. But yeah, then we found out that uh, touring was easier. Really, you know, we didn't have to create a backstory. We didn't need to explain anything. It was just us on stage riffing on a movie, and that's how that tour started. And uh, we did that for six years, I guess. Yeah, what was it like to go from, you know, riffing in a very controlled environment and pre-recorded to doing it live in front of, you know, hundreds, thousands of people even? Uh, I think it was just 
the exact natural progression of what we had done. It made so much sense to do it live, and it was a lot more fun doing it live than to just do it cold in a studio. Uh, we're all a bunch of goofball stand-ups and hams, and to get feedback is wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, we we sort of deserve to do them live because we got, you know, live audience response. Uh, and that's why Frank and I are, are touring again is because we missed that experience. We love doing it live in front of an audience, and thus the Mads are back, or whatever people are calling us. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I love watching you live because if I had to say one difference between the Rift Tracks model and what you guys do is that you do respond really well to audience reaction. My favorite moments in seeing you live are just you like a groaner comes up and you just yell, Who do "You think of a better joke." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the audience is a key. Uh, element in in this equation mm-hmm. um we should actually probably pay them uh <laughs> no we're not going to do that uh, <laughs> but yeah it's uh the movie and us and the audience and it it really recreates that you know sitting around with your friends watching a bad movie and only we're the only ones that get to say anything <laughs> well and i i've seen at the live shows you guys have been pretty clear you want these to just be live shows right mm-hmm. you don't want to tape them and release them as they're uh, on a disc or whatever, right? Well, it's it's possible down the road that we might do that, but for now, it's it's like um, you know, it's the rock band model. Uh-huh. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, if you see us, come out and see us because it's a much more satisfying experience. Mm, really, and is. people argue, you know, well, you you don't come to my town. We will. <laughs> we will get to your town. Yeah. So how many? How many? What does your schedule look like for t- this year so far? How many uh, stops on the schedule? Um, well, we start up again in a couple of weeks. Here we go to uh, Columbus, Ohio, at the Gateway Film Center. That's enough Columbians. The thirteenth, fourteenth of July, and we'll be in Springfield at the Alamo Draft House. That's brand new one. Springfield, Missouri, opening up brand new Alamo. Uh, then we go to Denver at the Voodoo Comedy Lounge. Mm. And then we've got a full slate of um, appearances this fall. And then we just keep charging on into into to 2018. Oh, I can't wait. Please come to the Alamo Draft House in San Francisco. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's great to see everybody all these years later. It feels like nothing has changed in terms of the performance and writing. I just saw the Rift Track Summer Short Special mm-hmm. live in the theater. And I'm just wondering... Um, has your has your process changed at all in terms of writing um, compared to what happened on MST3K? Um, it's pretty similar. Uh, at least when when Frank and I write, um, we each do a complete pass of the film or the short that we're going to work on. Then we get together in whatever town we go to to premiere it, and we don't do a lot of joke exchanging anymore. Mm. Uh, we we pretty much write our own material. And that's one of the big differences. Um, we don't pool our jokes and then go, oh, this will be better for Frank or mm. this will be better for me. And we're constantly changing uh, the material as we find <laughs> better jokes and, and some topical stuff. And uh, <laughs> it, it keeps it more spontaneous and more like more like jazz yeah. to be completely pretentious <laughs> I, well i did i didn't even think about that aspect of it having seen some of the stuff more than once it does allow topicality and more current events to leak into the riffs mm-hmm. yeah we uh we, we don't do a lot of political stuff but we do just enough political stuff to um you know satisfy ourselves 
themselves and piss everyone else off. Oh, yeah. yes. Always does yeah. that. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and also at the Mance thing, you guys are really good with like meet and greets with the fans even before and after. I got a picture. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Has, has, has that been fun, getting to meet all of your fans uh, like that? Oh, absolutely. You know, we were cooped up in studios for so many years that uh, getting out and actually meeting people is such a thrill. And we enjoy it. We do the meet and greet beforehand and after the show. Uh, we, we consider that if you've come to our show, you're already a VIP. So <laughs> we don't do the, you know, the high price upper level VIP thing. We'll sit and talk to you until you realize that we're very boring. <laughs> well, that, that was a weird revelation I got from a recent interview with Joel that, like, I guess both you and him sort of left the show before, like, there was a huge Comic-Con circuit. So... You, you missed, for 10 years, you didn't really have the opportunity to meet your fans in person. No, we didn't do any cons or any appearances. Uh, we did a couple of live shows in yeah. Minneapolis, but we had no idea that we could have tapped into that circuit. Yeah, I do remember you guys had just basically made your own conventions. Yeah. You had two of those, and it killed me. I was like, I live yeah. in Ohio, and I'm 10. I can't go to Minneapolis. You ran national commercials on Comedy Central to tease poor little teenagers in Florida <laughs> yes. for this thing they couldn't go to. Well, we, we didn't really know what we were doing, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I have possibly the nerdiest question today. Yay! I have to do it. Um, There was going to be, and it's okay if you don't know anything about this, Trace. You might not. There was going to be an MST3K uh, CD-ROM in the probably around 96 or so. Mm -hmm. One of the beats of material of that was a short called Assignment Venezuela that was eventually found and released on DVD. And I wanted to know if you can think of anything else that was created for that project or what it was even going to be. It just kind of killed me that it never was released in any way. Um, I think we, we realized it was just too complicated. Mm. Um, to do a CD-ROM, and we also there was another short about Mylar. Oh, which, is, is that lost forever? Which I don't know if they re- released that or not? Huh. Mm. The the CD-ROM was uh, allowed you to do a lot of uh, pointless things, you know, <laughs> click around and do other things, and we, we wanted to have games and stuff like that, and uh, we just weren't equipped. To uh, develop all that stuff, you say it's complicated. We just did a show where we looked back at these old CD-ROM comedy projects, and it's a glorified DVD menu. It really yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, I think the one that I enjoyed the most was the Python. Oh yeah, uh, complete uh, waste um, of time. There was a great um, Spinal Tap uh, CD-ROM. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, speaking of DVD menus, like you. Uh, What's what's it like working on those extras? You've been on a few extras for the MST3K collections. Like, did they shout Factory or Rhino approach you for that? And and I think one of my favorites it was, I I guess it was at a con, but it was you and Bill Corbett talking about both being Crow and and what that was like. Oh wow! Oh yeah, we did that at DragonCon hmm. um, as a as an excuse to go to DragonCon, <laughs> and then well, what do we talk about? So that was uh, that was actually Ken Plume's brainchild of uh, getting us there. And then uh, Shout knew that we were going to tape it, so they said, "Well, we'd like to put that on the disc because those are fun." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, usually Shout will call us up and go, "Hey, we need an intro to this, or can you do that?" And Frank and I went to London a couple of years ago and wow. sort of made a little travel log that. That's somewhere it might be on one of those discs somewhere. That's, it's Shout Factory has been pretty great to the series for a fan. Uh, like probably one of the 
best treatments of a TV show I can think of. Oh yeah, and it, it's it is important to me to know that, that they've been good to you as well. Oh, absolutely. In fact, a, a remarkable outcome in the last couple of years, Shout Factory is paying all of us a little residual uh, well, that's uh, so nice to hear. off sales, which we had not seen until Shout uh, wow. took ownership of MST. That's, that's And that's like, who does that? What yeah. corporation goes, these guys deserve some money? <laughs> well, because they don't have, like, contractually, they don't have to do that, right? Yeah. Like, no. No, this was just another amazing model of of what they do is like they're so good to the show and so good to the fans and then and great to us. So I, I just when they said, oh, we're going to pay for the stuff. And really? That's so great. And the, and the stuff that's on Netflix, the old show, um, I think they're going to give us a taste of that, too. And oh, like, man. What that's what awesome. corporation does that? <laughs> yeah, re- renegotiates that. for better residuals. That's I think amazing. you just built so much goodwill, people just like to see these shows again and like mm-hmm. to make them available again. And, and that's true. You saw it with the Kickstarter, that it's the most successful Kickstarter because everybody just assumed this isn't going to happen unless we mm. support it. Yeah, yeah. No, the fans, have, uh, the fans are the key element here. I can't stress that enough. They kept it alive. Uh, they've kept food on my table, and mostly I, possum. Because you know? <laughs> I, I, I did want to ask you, but you said it up top that you hadn't seen the new show yet. No, I have not. Uh, do you plan on checking it out, or is it something you just don't want to bother with? Um, there's so many other things on my list to watch, mm. um, and people have told me about it, and it's like, well, I, I don't know if this is something I need to see. Mm. Um, I'm working my way through House of Cards. <laughs> Uh, and I'm, I've seen Bloodline, which I like a lot. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I uh, the reunion came together after the Kickstarter, the, the big reunion that had its own Kickstarter. And that was amazing to me, just seeing all you guys. The, the Superman short you guys all did together uh-huh. oh, was, that was, great. was just mind-blowing uh-huh. to me. I never thought I'd see all of you guys on stage and doing it again. Like, how... Th- that must have come together in the shadow of the, the MST3K reboot Kickstarter, right? I, I think so. That was all Rift Tracks putting that together, and they they did they would do a big celebrity meetup kind of thing like in at um, Sketchfest. I think it just made sense to keep it in Minneapolis since most of us live there now. Yeah, and you know it was we got into the writing room to rehearse, and it was like, hey, we never left. Oh, that's great to hear. I was I really wanted to see you pop up in a cameo on the new MSC3K, which I really enjoyed. I don't. I hope you're open to a cameo in the next season, perhaps. We'll we'll see. We'll see. You know, I'm holding out to be uh, in girls, but I'll wait that <laughs> a little late. <laughs> but how do you feel about uh, MSC3K as this thing that can kind of continue indefinitely yeah. now? I mean, maybe it will still be happening in 50 years, and you will just have been part of the silver age of MSC3K, wow. and nerds of the future can <laughs> look back at that and be like, "Oh, that's classic Doctor Forrester." Well, you know, they're never going to stop making bad movies. Mm-hmm. There will always, I think there always is going to be somebody making fun of stuff like this. Whether or not it's still called Mystery Science Theater or maybe it's just called the GOP. For- <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I can't you know, impress that enough. As a huge MST3K fan, I just, you were so instrumental in the creation of it. And I just, my last nerdy question is, did you have something, your favorite that you built on the show physically? Yeah. Oh boy, I think it's the the satellite, the set, and the uh, exterior model. I had a great deal of fun doing that. Oh wow! How long did something like that take? Well, the set we worked on for quite a long time because uh, we had time, 
Uh, and the, the model I built overnight because I had to. <laughs> wow. I mean, did you have any experience with that kind of, with building things like that? Yeah, I'd grown up, um, you know, always having access to tools and making stuff and okay. building crops and doing projects. And so, yeah, I, I, I had some uh, meager skills doing that and, and still do. I still enjoy building stuff and hopefully one day I'll build stuff for a TV show again. Uh, <laughs> I believe in it. Any other questions, guys? Oh no, no. I, I, well, I mean, I have a million questions for for Trace. Same but here, but uh, I, I don't want to keep him any longer. Yeah, you've given us given us enough of your time, uh, Trace. Is there anything you want to uh, throw out there for people to listen to or check out? Well, you've mentioned the podcast, and we talked about our upcoming tour. You know, you can check us out on Facebook, the Madgerback uh, page, mm-hmm. uh, also Movie Sign with the Mads page, and we'll keep everybody posted. Let's chat again. Let's talk again in like six months. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah that'd hopefully, be great. see you in San Francisco around time for Sketchfest next time. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, we'd also like to just come back and play uh, play that theater as a standalone event. Ah. Yeah, that Alamo show was amazing. Well, we love the Alamo. We were playing a lot of them around the country, and they are all fantastic. Yeah, they're great theater. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Trace. We will put links to uh, that stuff on the page underneath this episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Trace Blue, everyone. Thanks, guys. Oh my God, that was so very special. Uh, I love so well. Thank you. I love being able to meet. I don't know. I'll just say heroes like that. I love Mm -hmm. Trace. I don't. I didn't gush as much as I probably could have about like I do impressions that Trace would do, not knowing (laughs) who he's doing and finding out later is that Gregory Peck? I guess it is. That's if Trace Mm -hmm. says it is. That's the one I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, we. I. I want to thank Trace again so much for his time, and he was so. He's one of the most important people to this little thing that that. Of anybody. Yeah. He built yeah. it. He wrote it. He helped pioneer it. Mm-hmm. He's a mad scientist. He's a puppeteer. One of the founding members of MSCPA. Yeah. yeah. And They're from should, KTMA. And you should absolutely see his shows live. The Mads are back. Uh, really the, funny. Like, they tour around every major city pretty much. And like if he comes near you, you should totally go, especially like him and Frank. They do meet and greets. Like mm-hmm. You can talk to them. They are super duper friendly. And they don't seem afraid of you. And it was so great when I <laughs> when I saw Walk the Dark Streets with you guys. I got up to get use the bathroom or something. And just like, oh, they're just sitting they're in the, the back of the theater. They're in the theater with us. <laughs> yeah. The live like, microphone. This is so cool. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We are supported by Patreon. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. It's how we do this for a living. It's how we... Landing this interview again was the the process of multiple, almost multiple years. Yes, it yeah. took a while, but we stuck to we stuck with it, and uh, thank God we found Trace when he had the time, mm-hmm. uh, and especially through the technical difficulties. So you can follow Trace on Twitter. Be sure to check out a Movie Sign with the Mads. It's a great podcast about films with him oh, and Frank yeah. Conniff. And please go see them if they're in your town. It is really, really, really fun. Yeah, um, totally agree. But yes, patreon.com slash laser time. We have an, an exclusive weekly bonus show where we usually incorporate your feedback a little bit. I would love to see what people think about this episode because, one, oh, yeah. I know we have a couple of MSD3K movie fan, or mega fans, and we also have people who don't get it. And I'd love to see what they think having What's listened to this whole problem? episode. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> There's too much stuff out there, but this is just one of the things that is very, very, very important to me. I love MCDK and everything and everybody involved. Uh, but we have that. We have 302010, which I remember we one of the milestones we did cover is this year MST3K moved to Sci-Fi Channel. And mm. there were some interesting commercials of like Mike and the bots interrupting feeds of the Sci-Fi Channel, telling, yeah. uh, informing the audience of their incoming invasion. And I remember in uh, the last year we did an episode for when... 
brain candy and and mystery science theater the movie yeah. were in theaters for the same week yeah. and then never again in theaters <laughs> it's it's a bummer i missed both of them by being on outward bound but you can check out laserdenpodcast.com for more we have a bunch of fun videos more podcasts talking simpsons which has its own yes that's right uh patreon.com slash talking simpsons is the home of uh, henry and my patreon henry and my's henry and myself so i don't know how to say that it's a weird construction but if you go there uh, for just $5 a month, you can access all kinds of bonus content. Of course, you can get every episode a week ahead of time with no ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Talking Critic. Uh, we're going to start. We actually started recording that, Henry. I think mm-hmm. we're going to roll that out in July, the actual yes, real yeah. launch of it. We, so. we, hit, we hit that tier. We hit that milestone. And now we are ready for the next one. And uh, But, yeah, we are... Bob and I are having a ton of fun doing that, and we thank everybody for their support on patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Thank you. And my other podcast is Retronauts, of course. You know that. But in case you don't, go to retronauts.com or go look for Retronauts in your podcast machine every Monday. And occasionally, uh, an extra one on Friday, we talk about old video games. If you like video games or have played them at any point in your life, mm-hmm. <laughs> there will be at least one Retronauts episode you will like. So just search for the archives. We've done plenty of the guys in this room. We talk about Simpsons games. We talk about bad oh, yeah. Pac-Man cartoons, uh-huh. bad Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons. You name it's no such thing as a bad Pac-Man cartoon. He, he died a horrible death. Why do I talk like this? Is this uh, how you imagine me, kids? Pac-Man was a Lucky Strikes fan, we learned. But yes, uh, download our holiday special. Tons of podcasts. Retronauts.com. Thank oh, you. And to sweeten our Patreon, because yours is too brimming with potential. Oh, uh, no. We have movie commentaries, and we got to jump in right now to the Batman and Robin movie yes. commentary. There'll be new commentaries for July that you can join us with live. And then, of course, enjoy a la carte at lasertime.bandcamp.com. And... Uh, or get all of them on patreon.com slash laser time and see how much better MST3K is by comparison. But it's something we like to do with you guys. Why don't we close out with a little Trey singing? I've crushed his head a few times. Memories like nursery rhymes. No one died like my TV's Frank. No sweet blood to distill. No cute tummy to drill. Who will I kill When I look upon The first evening star I remember when I hooked his liver To the engine of my car I could tickle my Aunt Lil Give my dog a cyanide pill But what Frank-shaped boy Could they possibly fill? Here's my money. You can bank it. I'm no good without my Frank. It seems he could die without batting an eye. Now it seems I must take my own bitter pill. Tell me who, who will I kill? Goodbye, Frank. And remember, wherever you are, I will kill you.